There were the books, the ones about the flat disk. And with them came the notes, asterisked, marked, bringing forth the jokes and added wisdom. But in between were others, also books, but unanointed. And thus too the podcast concerning the others, in particular the small matters, were equally decreed to be unanointed. Let it be. No footnotes for this one. The Book of Pratchett. Kaufman, verses 1 to 6. And I'm Ben McKenzie. Welcome to Pratt Chat, the monthly Terry Pratchett book club podcast. Each month we discuss one of Terry Pratchett's books with a special guest. This month we're talking about truckers, or if it was a Simon and Garfunkel song, the Gnomewood Bounders. And our guest <laughs> is author Amy Kaufman. Welcome, Amy. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I'm, yeah. I'm on deadline, so I'm very excited to be out of the house. This oh. qualifies as an outing for me. <laughs> oh, good, good. Well, we're glad to get you out of your house. Yeah. Uh, to talk about other people's books yeah. instead of your own. To get into the outside. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm, I ventured out of my store into the outside. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you, you've read Truckers before. Oh my goodness. Yes, absolutely. I think my very first reading of it was the, uh, the audio books that Tony Robinson narrates. Mm-hmm. And I only found out recently that those are abridged. Yeah. I didn't know. So I thought I had read it a lot earlier, well, in its entirety, a lot earlier than I had. And... Then when I thought, oh, maybe I'll just reread it again via audio. And, and I went to buy the audio book and there was the word. Yeah. What did they cut? They cut the more grown-up-y bits, to be honest. They make it a younger book. And it's very, very skillfully done. Mm. But I think some of the, the stuff that's kind of more reflective on religion and, and the interpersonal politics of the, the families inside the store, the stuff that you might not really get if you were 10. Mm. Yeah, okay. So what's left? Like a staircase and a, a lorry ride? <laughs> Mostly action. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a lot, exciting of, lot of good stuff in there. I mean, I loved it. So it clearly worked. Whatever they did, I was younger and I absolutely loved it. So it clearly worked. And yeah. you've got a really good point because I read it as a child. I was given the book by my teacher to mm-hmm. read and I opened it and I was like, I hate this. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Why does she think I would understand this? And then I put it away for, what is it, like 20 years and mm-hmm. here we yeah. are and I love it again. So. Yeah. But you had a bit of a revelation about this when we were talking about it after the last podcast, didn't you, Liz? Yeah, because this was my first Terry Pratchett book and I just hadn't actually oh. registered that. Yeah, and you bounced. Yeah, because I sort could of... could have been the end of everything. Yeah, but fortunately I did not link his name to the book that I didn't... I was a bit too young mm-hmm. to understand and so I gave him another chance. Oh, that's Thankfully. good. Well, it's good. It's good for us. Well, it yeah. wouldn't be a podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> How did you start with Terry Pratchett, Amy? Uh, I started when I was in about year eight. And so my family is the Australian outpost of a very large Irish family. Mm-hmm. So there's just a, just a handful of us here. And one of my Irish cousins moved out here with her husband, which represented like, you know, an extra 50% of people in my family. So we were <laughs> right. very excited. Uh, and they had all of the Pratchett books. Wow. And I was just, I was probably 13 years old and I was just drawn to the covers and 
I was trying I was trying to remember back when I was listening to the first episode of Pratchett what my first Pratchett book was and I think maybe it was Mort but I'm not actually sure. It's a popular hmm. choice. Yeah. Mm. I think I think I liked the horse yeah. <laughs> on the cover. I think well, we all we, we, we all. Love that I mean, horse. we all like the horse in every way. But Binky, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, today we're here to discuss Truckers, the first in the Bromeliad. I love the name of the trilogy, even. Um, mm-hmm. And as traditional, we, we should start with the reading of the blurb. So I might take it away. Outside, what's it like? Masklin looked blank. Well, he said, it's sort of. Big. To the thousands of tiny gnomes who live under the floorboards of a large department store, there is no outside. Things like day and night, sun and rain are just daft old legends. Then a devastating piece of news shatters their existence. The store, their whole world, is to be demolished. And it's up to Masklin, one of the last gnomes to come into the store, to mastermind an unbelievable escape plan that will take all the gnomes into the dangers of the great outside. It sounds pretty exciting, really. It I, is. It's a bit of a weird... But is, it, is your blurb different? Because often we find the different editions have different blurbs. My blurb is different. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you want... Maybe want... We've never done this before. Maybe you want to give us a read of the other blurb. One. They're four inches tall in a human-sized world. Under the floorboards of the store is a world of four-inch-tall gnomes that humans never see. It is commonly known among these gnomes that Arnold Brothers created the store for them to live in, and he declared everything under one roof. Therefore, there can be no such thing as outside. It just makes sense. That is, until the day a group of gnomes arrives on a truck claiming to be from outside, talking about day and night and snow and other crazy legends. And soon they uncover devastating news. The store is about to be demolished. It's up to Masklin, one of the outside gnomes, to devise a daring escape plan that will forever change the gnomes' vision of the world. Wow. Can I just say, I can't believe that I did not hear his name as masculine <laughs> until this morning. Yeah. No. Because it seems so blatant now. <laughs> and he, I mean, of course he kind of is. It's like, it has to be deliberate, because there's all the themes about women can't do this because their brains all overheat and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a book about gender among many other things. Yeah. But yeah. I can't believe that's, I'm finally, the penny has dropped. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it hadn't yeah. occurred to me either. No. They all have names that are kind of evocative in one way or another. I mean, obviously, the store gnomes will get, and we'll get onto their names. They'll have mm. names that are corruptions of the various departments of the store. But the outside gnomes have very patchy names, really. They are. Mm. They they're sort of onomatopoeic, isn't the right word? Mm. Mm. But you know, they all sound like what they are. Mm. Yeah, like Grimmer's quite serious. And practical and, yeah. you know, and, and Masklin has a moment at one point where he realises that although he's constantly complaining about having to hunt and having to provide, he sort of suddenly catches a mental glimpse of Grimmer having to clean up after everyone and having to do her own work. Mm. Like her life is just a little bit grimmer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And and then, you know, you've got Granny Morky and Old Torret, who are the only other outside gnomes that get a name. But, I don't think yeah. any of the other ones get no, names. just the old ones. <laughs> the two that get monched by a fox get a name, but you don't meet them. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Old Torret does name them when, yeah. he, when he's having a moment. Mm. Mm. We should get into the plot. We'd love to hear from you if you do listen to the podcast and don't read the books. We've got, I mean, the book starts, is, it, is this in all your editions? You've got the little bit about concerning gnomes and time, the little sort of page. I yeah, do. I yeah. got that. And I loved it because I'm like, oh, time is relative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you only live for, um, I think the oldest gnome is like 15, 15 years old. And he's just 
ancient. Yeah, no one can believe that yeah. anything is older than him. And um, to them, humans seem like ants seem to humans. Yeah. Such real slow, everything just painfully slow. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things I love about that little intro is that this book almost feels, certainly for me as an adult, like a primer on all things Pratchett. There are yeah. all these themes that he loves and they're all in this book. Mm. You know, I mean, he starts out talking about the mayflies and the day that goes forever and, you know, we hear about that in Discworld. Mm. You know, we see kind of masculine as this kind of, I almost think like proto-vimes mm. and, mm. you know, Granny Morky is this proto-Granny Weatherwax and I think, I looked it up because I think Guards, Guards and... Uh, Truckers were published in the same year, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's right. How? So, so <laughs> yeah. don't look at me. I, I do three books a year. Okay. I don't sleep is the other thing, though. Mm. Uh, so I think, you know, you can see him playing with the same ideas over and over. You know, you can see him playing with his feminism. You can see him playing with all this stuff. Mm. And it starts in the Concerning Gnomes note. And then, you know, immediately after that is one of the other big themes, you know, religion, as mm-hmm. he starts reading the, the sections from the Book of Gnome. Yeah, which um, is so great. Yeah, it's great. I, lo- I love the names of all the, the, like, the chapters and verses mm-hmm. of it. So it's like, from the Book of Gnome, basements, verses 1 to 12. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just all... And you move up through the store as the excerpts continue yeah. until you hit exits. Yeah, it's amazing. Even just the start of the first chapter, when he's talking about this is the story of the going home, this is the story of the critical path. Mm-hmm. I remember this because I um, and and this is sort of jumping ahead a little bit to a question that somebody asked whether or not we cover the TV show and we won't talk about it too much here because not all of us have seen it but they they start this TV show with basically the same narration mm. but it's narrated by the thing ah. uh, and so it's the thing's voice talking and just like in the book like it sort of shows you it gives you that glimpse of the end of the book which mm. I, I just love that as a device in books. Jeez, it's hard to do though. Yeah, it's hard to do. It's so hard to do well. Yeah, and he does it so well. Yeah, because you get a little glimpse, and then you're like, "How did that? How, what?" <laughs> yeah, and that the the pleasure of it is figuring out how they will do the impossible mm. thing. I almost think I know this is a really weird parallel to draw, but the the definition of a romance novel is that it will have a happily ever after or a happily for now ending. If it doesn't have one of those, it is not a romance novel. It is some other kind of story, right? And the pleasure of the romance novel is not will they end up together, it's how will they end up together. You know, and as you see the couple, you know, fight and separate and go their separate ways and come back together and all the rest of it, there's never any suspense about how it will end. It's Mm. how on earth will that be achieved given things seem to be getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah, given all the obstacles put in their way. Yeah, and that's the same pleasure in this book because he shows you at the very beginning Mm. they're going to get the truck out. Yeah. I mean, the the hint is also in the title. Yeah. But, <laughs> so the pleasure of it is how on earth? And almost that kind of, you know, that pleasure you get as a reader from knowing something the characters don't know? And you, yeah. you know, as they're all saying, it can't be done. And you think, oh, but I know Masculine's going to triumph <laughs> because I've seen it on page one. And uh, So we feel like the thing. Yeah, we yeah. do. We yeah. Do. Uh, it doesn't take long until they're on a truck, even mm. in the book. You know, because that's one of the first things that they do. They're, they're trying to get on a lorry to get away from the fields because Massey's yeah. like, it's too dangerous out here. We've got to find somewhere better. And these lorries go somewhere and somewhere's got to be better than here. Mm. And we meet the four main outside gnomes, Masculine, Grimmer, 
old Torret and Granny Morky, plus, you know, the other ones who were left. <laughs> <laughs> the unnamed masses. Yeah. Uh, but there's not many of them. There's, no. There's like maybe, is it like 20 or a dozen or something? There's less than 20. And, like yeah, because Masklin talks about how they used to be 40 when he was young and that was... That was years ago. Well, almost the largest number mm. that there is for him. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting because I mean, you think about it, like there's so many things in the outside that number in more than 20 <laughs> like leaves on a tree or blades of grass but you don't think about that you think about the numbers of the things that are important to you, Do you? that's it it's like this beautiful piece of world building where the only details he notices are mm. you know mm. what you notice that well i mean for him it's narrowed right down to what will kill me and what will feed me yeah and if it's not one of those two things it's not getting named or counted <laughs> yeah and we get the the flashback to why he's decided to do this, which is the sort of last straw, which is when a fox attacked the burrow they were living in and didn't really eat two of the gnomes. It must have just killed them, didn't I it? I thought it or ate it? them. Because when you, you get introduced to the fox and it's got blood around his mouth and he's just sort of at the edge of his despair and he sort of is stabbing at it with his spear and his knife, which is not doing much to mm. it because it's big and tough and he is small. Then he gets back to the the burrow and there aren't bodies there. No, so it, mm. it implies that they've been munched. Well, yeah. and he does say much later in the book when they're attending a funeral and someone says, well, what do you do for funerals? And he says, well, they're mostly buried inside an animal. Like yeah. a badger or something. Yeah. Like a badger or a fox or something. So speaking of the burials, like you get a hint of what kind of mystical or sort of quasi-religious belief the outside gnomes have. Mm. And there's that, that quite nice line where... Uh, they talk about the bit of him that was really him. Yeah. Mm. Clearly, you know, they're grasping at that idea of the soul. But the outside gnomes really have very little of that sort of stuff. They're, they're forced to be very practical by their existence. Yeah. Because well, they have that whole thing about once you've got safety and you've got a roof over your head, that's when you have time to start fighting with other gnomes and worrying about who owns what and what's my due and that kind of thing. Is that like a really nerdy joke here about like masculine's hierarchy of needs <laughs> to be had? <laughs> uh, we're all about the nerdy jokes on Pratchett. That's great. Um, that's really that sort of gives you that idea of what their life outside this door was like, which is just that first bit of the first chapter. And then they arrive in the store almost mm, quite immediately. quickly, yeah. And not long after that, meet a gnome who lives there. Here, we don't know that there are any other gnomes anywhere in the entire world. We know no. there's the little group from outside, and we know there's the group who live in Arnold Brothers, and that's about it. I'm glad we've decided to call it Arnold Brothers because it is written B R O S, but saying Arnold Bros sounds like. Board shorts at the beach what? and like smashing a bintang. It, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's it's Arnold Brothers. Yes, yeah. so it's, it's a, a large stately institution. The department store essentially that they live in is very male driven. There's like one mm. woman in charge of a department family, but it's interesting. I thought because department stores were traditionally like a women's realm in terms of who they're for, and mm. it's kind of interesting. Yeah, who opposites. shops there and who you know. It was like when when you look at footage of a department store in a movie or a historical you know if you're looking at sort of mrs Maisel or one of the the series set there it's all about women's spaces yeah yeah and my french is terrible it's like la bonheur de damas it's like the ladies paradise is like the the classic early mm. 1900s right. thing about a department store but it is a men's world uh, I, my, my only real experience of things set in department stores are truckers and are you being served <laughs> 
which are not really appropriate to the no. discussion we're currently having. Um, but imagine if it was the same department store. Oh, oh my goodness! <laughs> it would explain so much. It would. It would. That's called something brothers as well. I forget. I forget what it's called. But um, yeah, it's old school, old school department store. <laughs> when they arrive at the store is when we first get a physical description of the gnomes. Mm. I forgot entirely what they're supposed to look like because they don't look like that on any of the covers. Of no, the books. so I, I have to admit, I sort of because it says what well, they look like a small brick on legs or something. Yeah, yeah, and I sort of looked at that and then just did that thing readers do sometimes where I went nah, nah. and just went back to imagining exactly the way I imagine. Yeah, yeah. which yeah. is just as kind of tiny scaled down people because look at all the covers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still humanoid, you know. Yeah, but just yeah, and even. Um, I mean, we've all got different illustrations on the cover of ours and they're all quite similar, really, but not quite, yeah, what's described. And even in the TV series, they've got pointy little ears. Yeah, which isn't mentioned anywhere. No, it's not mentioned at all. So it's, yeah. And I think I always imagine them looking kind of like they do in the TV show, yeah. um, which is fine. I mean, they're the right height um, and they're very fast, but... Yeah. Yeah, one fifth of a gear stick high. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, what's the classic thing that the Smurfs are, are said to be like three apples high or two apples <laughs> high or something? Like they're not measured in normal. So here's oh. a confession. I did not realize that Smurfs were small until last week. I thought they were just like a blue people going about their lives. And then the person I was talking to was like, but what about Gargamel? He's huge and he's their their enemy. I'm like, isn't he just a giant monster like Zordrak? <laughs> And they're like, no, no, he's a person. He's normal size. So, yeah. so my world's been turned upside down wow. with this. So, yeah. I love oh. that. I always love things that you manage to get all the way to adulthood and then go, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Smurfs, they're just the same size as us, aren't they? They just live somewhere else. Wow. Where there's giant toadstools. I don't, don't think. I, I mean, think the more you drill down, the more questions there are. Yeah. But, yeah. but like, how much time were you spending thinking about this? But I feel like it's Occam's razor, like... Is it more likely there's like a bunch of small people, just one really large dude? <laughs> I mean, when you put it like that. Sure, if they're, they're the only bits of evidence you're looking at, I agree. That makes more sense. So they're at the store. Um, at they the meet store. Angelo, who has been watching the lorries, and I kind of picture him as this sort of train spotter guy. Mm. And he's got yeah. what sounds like a Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat, dream coat. Yeah, there's a great picture of him actually on the Josh Kirby cover where he is wearing the, the fancy multicolored... Almost coat jesterish with his um, with his cool mouse. Um, actually, the outfit rat, that he's oh sorry, rat. Yeah, who looks very fancy. But it makes sense because he's from the haberdashery family, mm-hmm. mm. so they would have lots of wonderful cloths. You'd hope so. Yeah, and it's this immediate contrast as well that masculine just looks at that and thinks, well, everything would see you and therefore eat you. And Angelo has never once had to think about camouflage. Mm. That's how Nelson got shot at the Battle of Trafalgar, isn't it? He went out in all of his Admiral regalia and a sniper was like, cool, got that. Oh, that guy looks important. Yeah. <laughs> Quick. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Oh, well, and when they're talking to him, actually, about what the outside is like, they don't have a lot of words. Like, I, it, mm. It's interesting what words they do and don't have. Well, it's like asking a fish what water's like. Mm. They, there's no... I mean, I'm being a bit of a writer nerd here, but that's what I do. And I was thinking about this stuff a lot as I was rereading. Mm. And... One of your fundamental tools of, I guess, world building is what does the character notice? What does the character not notice? What does the character think is normal? And what does the character think is abnormal? And you're always asking yourself that as you're writing. Mm. And in this, it's like he's taken it to the nth degree. You know, Masculine and Grimmer and and the others just literally don't understand the question. Yeah. And, And the words that even the outside gnomes, like the words that they have, they don't have words for things you might even expect them to. Like mm. they don't know what clouds are. 
Like no. they get asked, what's the ceiling like? And they're like, well, it's kind of blue or gray and it has white things floating in it. And you're like, well, yeah, that's yeah. technically accurate. I guess that's all you really need to know if you yeah. don't really know how it works. I think it comes back to the survivalism thing. It gets a name mm. and detail if you can eat it or it will kill you. Mm. Plus, if everyone else around you has the exact same lived experience, you wouldn't need to describe the things you all see to each other. Mm. Mm. So... That's yeah. true. Yeah, no one has ever asked before, what's yeah. that up there? Because we all just know it's there. Yeah. yeah. This is where they get taken through to find out more about the store after they've mm. talked to Angelo for a bit. Although they almost, they're almost going to eat his rat. Um, well, I yeah, mean. Poor Bobo. Yeah. yeah. There's uh, a fantastic line later from Granny Morky, isn't there, where someone, she's saying the pet rat can't come in. thought you said you, like, you liked rats. No, I said I liked rat. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Like the No Homers Club. Like, oh, but you let the other Homer in and in The Simpsons. And he's like, oh, no, but we've got one, so we can't have two. Yeah. I have plural Homers. <laughs> they're sort of, you know, they're dumbstruck. They're like, look at all this stuff. Look at this mm. place. It's amazing. Uh, and it's nice, that, you know, it's that classic thing of we're going to introduce you to this weird environment by putting people in who are from mm. outside of it. I mean, it's sort of more closely mirrors human society than the outside gnomes lives do i yeah. guess but it's still quite far removed it is one thing that's really interesting about this section is i i noticed that it's almost this contrast to like masculine is almost playing the ro- the role of the sort of quote savage unquote mm. like he's even got a spear mm. so he's almost playing into this stereotype of you know that you would see in these really old racist stories about <laughs> someone from somewhere again like quote uncivilized mm. close quote coming in and saying oh what is this big metal bird in the sky you know well, this television with a person inside mm. and you know but those were always quite not mocking but very condescending yeah and and they didn't value you know the the intelligence of the uncivilized person in the same way they didn't value their their life experience the same way they didn't see that it was different but you know equal mm. whereas masculine is sort of playing that role wandering around with his spear and it doesn't feel that way at all mm. no. well because we're also mocking the store gnomes because exactly their lives are ridiculous yes. in many ways especially to the reader and also to masculine who's yes. like what how does this even work? I mean, it, it, he he finds it very difficult to buy into the whole. This is amazing because yeah. he's too busy going. This doesn't make any sense. Yeah, he wants he wants to leave almost immediately. And even mm. the ones who are so awed by the amount of food that's available and stuff have pride about the outside as well. Because there's mm-hmm. Granny who keeps going. Oh yes, I caught much bigger bananas than this when I was in the outside. Like yeah. I'd chase them down and that kind of thing. She's yeah. got this weird class sort of awareness about her which is like where did that come from you've been living outside on your own for like however long i did think about that yeah but i think i think we're watching it come into creation yeah i think we're watching it happen i mean it lies dormant in all of us no matter what our circumstances (laughs) yeah yeah i guess so plus she's also technically in charge of the gnomes because like torret yeah is in charge but he is not yeah oh yeah yeah she's always telling him what he's claims that he's in charge he's very clearly do this. Don't tell me what to do. I'm the leader. Of course you're the leader. Do this. Yeah. And they like, have yes, that. Um, that's right. Do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they have that beautiful echo of that later between masculine and, and Grimma. Grimma. Oh, yeah. I loved yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. She says, and, and she literally says the same thing. Of course you're the leader. Nobody said you're not the leader. <laughs> now do it. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, oh my goodness, like if nothing changed. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, in 50 years, but you know, in, in three or four years when you're both old gnomes. <laughs> yeah. It'll be the same thing again, yeah. um, except two other books happen and they both change a lot, which yes. is nice. 
They get in the store. They go for an audience with Angelo's father, the Duke de Haberdashery. Um, but they, all of the... I want to talk about the names because they... It's weird to me that the names of the noble families are corrupted versions of the department names. Mm-hmm. And yet when they talk about the departments, they use the actual names of the departments. So oh, it's yeah. almost like they've deliberately decided to have names that are not quite the same. And they're, they're pronounced differently in the TV show. Like they're, it's the Haberdasheries rather than the Haberdashery. And I think in the... Audiobook, I think it's the Haberdashery. Mm. Hmm. Because I remember when I was reading the book, that's just instantly mm. where I went. Yeah. So I thought, mm. I think that's weird, but I kind of, I kind of like it. And it sort of, it makes it easy to differentiate between when we're talking about a person or a family and when we're talking mm. about the place. Is it kind of like how we have last names based on trades, which have changed a lot in just a few hundred years? Like that's why we have so many Smiths and mm. things. Like it's not quite the same, but we used to be of mm. things. But now we still have the last names and those things still exist, but there's just a slight remove. And it's not clear. I mean, I don't think they ever say exactly when they arrived in the store, but it's clear they've been there for a long time by gnome standards. Yeah. I mean, the abbot is 15 years old and one has the impression he is one in a long line of abbots. Yeah. Mm. So they've been there probably at least, you know, 40 or 50 years, which is a lot of gnome generations. Or maybe like since 1905, like as soon as the store opened. It's possible. Like it's... Because there's that question, like, what did we do in 1904 before? Which again was weird because they always say "est 1905" as part of the name, Mm -hmm. and then right near the end, someone's aware that it means that's when the store was built. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Hmm. I I wondered if that because I thought about that and I thought because no one else seems to know and I thought well maybe that's intended as a sign of higher education. Uh, the gnome that gets that 1905 is a year and 1904 was also a year. Yeah. Maybe that's the sign that the minds are starting to open and, and everyone having these reading lessons is starting to wake up this sleeping beast. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That does make sense. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. So what is ironmongery? Is that a department? Yeah, I took it to be like like frying pans. Yeah, I think it's an old-fashioned name for that, for like anything made out of, you know, iron or steel. Kitchen implements. Um, and it's like very old. I mean, it's a very old fashioned department store. Mm. I mean, it's a step, well, established in 1905. Mm. And going out of business because it's old fashioned. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, although the company that founded it and started with the store is doing mm. very well. Yes. Arnco. Amazing. Yeah. Um, we'll come back to that. Arnco. It sounds like something Schwarzenegger would do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They, but they don't, they don't make themselves popular. Do they? Oh, no, there's oh. vacuuming in the corridor. Was it bargains galore's coming? Yeah, oh, no. <laughs> and so while they're in this store, and I really like the line about how it seems bigger than the outside because it has constraints, so you never think about how big an unlimited thing is because it is unlimited. Yeah, I yeah. only wrote down a couple of things, and that was one of them. Yeah. I loved it. But um, while they're in the store, the thing wakes up, the oh, thing yeah. that's been passed down from leader to leader that that Masculine was happy to leave behind as their escape because he's like, this is just a cube that does nothing. Yeah, Suddenly the electricity box. and perhaps the change in circumstances makes mm. it sort of kick back into life. Yeah, bring me closer to the electricity. And it's got, in the TV series, it's got this beautiful plummy sort of, you know, very clear received pronunciation English voice. Oh, heaven. Um, which is a little bit like, I mean, it's very much like Siri, but with a male voice. Right. <laughs> yeah. Bring me closer to the electricity. And you're like, oh, okay. Um, a bit prescient there, Pratchett. Uh, mm. But yeah, it was. it's a nice voice. And I kind of like how 
as is a bit of a theme of the book, where practical things take on a sort of religious significance, this is like the black box or the the mm. flight thing. The flight, flight navigation recorder. and recording yeah. computer, yeah. And it's become this profound sort of religious object, but it's just a practical thing that's helpful, yeah. much like the signs around the store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I sort of, I took that to mean that, because you can see the traces of the message have been passed down in that this is very important and it will help you get to the heavens. And not, and they specify not one heaven, the heavens. You know, Old Torrent says that early on. Yeah. And you so I sort of imagine that they had it, they knew it was important, they didn't know why it was important, and so then in time they invented a reason mm. for it to be important. Yeah. And it sort of became, like while it was dormant, it was kind of just like the conch in Lord of the Flies. Mm. It's like whoever has this is the is, is in charge and is directing us. Mm. Does it wake up because it's near electricity or because it senses that, ah, something's happening where we can start to go back on our mission? Well, I also wondered whether it woke up because, you know, it had enough power to be able to listen in and it could hear the gnomes starting to argue about whether it was worth anything at all. Because it, just before it wakes up is when Maston's like saying, I'm fed up with this thing. When, what is it telling you to do now, huh? What is it telling you to do now? He's like, well, you know, it's, um, yeah. and then it speaks and he's freaked out and yeah. they realize that it's never actually spoken to him. It's just... You know, just make stuff up that seems reasonable and tell everyone the thing told you. Um, yeah, I so- wondered when Old Torrent was going to tell Masklin that. Because yeah. Old Torrent says that he was told by the leader before him, oh, you just say what, what you think the thing would say. Yeah. And yeah. at some point that was going to have to go to Masklin, but Old Torrent obviously thought he had some more time on the clock. Yeah. yeah. I thought that the thing did only wake up when they hit the store, partly because it was so ignorant of everything that had happened prior to that. It was asking mm. the gnomes, do you know what this is? Do you know what that is? Do you know these words? Yeah. And then it does a throwback to the savage thing where it, it tries saying big boom boom in sky and, <laughs> oh, and yeah. they're all like, what? <laughs> yeah, when it's trying to communicate about the destruction of the store. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was weird and a bit unfortunate. It was a bit unfortunate, but it, it did sort of feel like, again, that, that approach to, you know, let's do the condescending savage impersonation, only it doesn't, again, it doesn't work. Yeah, because they're like, that doesn't make any more sense it's to us. To us than what you were doing before. But yeah. I, I did think maybe it was... That that feeling that I had of, oh my god, a million times they could have lost it and they never did, mm. and they had no idea, and this is the first chance it's had to warn them in, who knows how long? Well, fifteen thousand years. Because yeah. when it wakes up, it says fifteen thousand yeah. years have passed, and Maskin's only just learned, learned what a thousand means because mm. he learned there were two thousand gnomes in the store. He's like, yeah. what? How many is that? And it's, it blew his mind. Yeah, yeah. This is this is a significant moment, and the thing I really I like the thing. Like I really like it as a device. Mm. It's the main thing that I think that grounds this as more of a, a sci-fi than a yeah. fantasy. Although I think a lot, like a lot of Pratchett's books, even though it's got fantasy kind of tropes in it, it feels a lot more sci-fi in mm, the way it that it sort of The way proceeds. that it explores them and asks questions, yeah. Yeah, but I, I do like the thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it is kind of sitting there listening, like Facebook ads, waiting. <laughs> <laughs> to make itself relevant. Oh, yeah. It does take on a bit more of a sinister tone now, doesn't it? Mm. It's waiting to be like, I know you went into Country Road. Here are jackets they sell. Yeah. Yeah. He does wake it up by saying things like, hey, think. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm. I hadn't thought about that. No, prescient. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very prescient. I mean, if there's one thing Pratchett is, was, it's prescient. Mm. Mm. Uh, but it's not long after it wakes up, they go to watch 
some humans. They meet Dorcas, mm-hmm. who's mm-hmm. a very important gnome. He works with the ironmongery. He's mm-hmm. the one who knows how the electricery works. I always want to say electricery, <laughs> which is from, um, that's from Cat Weasel. But it's the, and they don't say that. They call it electricity. And that actually, that section has got one of my favorite lines in the whole book in it, which is, mm. which I always remember. It's like my favorite, one of my favorite Pratchettisms. Um, when they're going to go up in the lift that Dorcas is attached to the mm. bottom of the real lift yes. that's gnome-sized, the little basket, um, and they're about to get on. And Mass is like, is it safe? And Dorcas says, more or less. And he says, how much more than less? <laughs> and I'm, I just love that phrase. It's so good. Oh, and just I love that that Dorcas has essentially worked out how to override the human lift controls. And he says, you know, I thought they would notice that they press down and it goes up to five instead, but they never <laughs> seem to. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, it's me. I'm the human in the lift going, but I press down. <laughs> but I never do anything about it. I just wait for the gnomes, I guess, to go up to wherever they were going. Everything must go in yeah. its own time. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I had a lot of yeah, and and also um, um, what is it? Load twelve persons, and like mm-hmm. it often oh, doesn't carry twelve persons, persons, so he must be angry. That was great, yeah. uh, but I, I got a lot of sympathy for that. I remember uh, there's a, a really difficult programming task we were set when I was at university, which was to write the control system for a lift. Mm-hmm. And they realized after they'd given it to us and everyone started complaining about how hard it was, they hadn't given us enough direction on what the priorities of the lift system should be. Mm-hmm. So there were so many things you had to decide, like, does it prioritize going up or down? Does it prioritize going somewhere close or further away? Does it prioritize the best path through picking up the most people on the way to a floor that someone wants to go mm. to? There's so many or different like ways. Or like wait time or... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's so many different decisions you can make. And then, you know, you've got gnomes messing with it as well. Oh, no, it's simple. <laughs> you just assign everyone in the world a hierarchical number and mm. then whoever is the most high up in that thing who's pressing the lift gets whatever they want. That's a Black Mirror episode. Yes. Is what that is. Uh, <laughs> Your ranking determines the lift. It yeah. totally is. Oh. But... Yeah, on the instructions on the lifts and things, I also really enjoyed the one about the moving stairs. Let the mm-hmm. sign be, dogs and push chairs must be carried. And then the next one, and Arnold Brothers established 1905, waxed wrath from any carried neither dog nor push chair. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and me in airports, I'm like, everyone is taking their wheelie bag up the moving stairs. And I'm like, oh, it could uh, be really bad. Yeah, there's so many good things <laughs> in that where they, they, they understand the words and not the meaning behind it. It's just such a recurring theme in the book. But I just can't stop imagining like Pratchett in a department store and these are the things that are his gripes potentially like the things mm. he's just like, oh people shouldn't be doing that i'm gonna put yeah. it in a book i don't think mine says push chair what it says chapter six in mine um, oh yours is yours an american edition it might have some Ooh. some sort of translations for different let me try and find it what might it say perambulator uh, uh might be pram i don't know Strollers. Strollers. On the moving stairs, let the sign be dogs and strollers must be carried. And Arnold Brothers S1905 waxed wrath for many carried neither dog nor stroller. Huh. That's a bit more modern as well. I just re- I remembered that joke because it was so, it delighted me. <laughs> it's strange the little things they change. Like, yeah. yeah. Do Americans not know what a stroller is? Yeah. Or, or, or do Brits around. not know what a stroller is? I'm not sure. Well, the original one, because Push Prams is quite old fashioned too, because it was mm. written in the. You know, 1989, I think it was mm. published. So it was written in the late 80s. And a lot of the terms and things in the book are, and it's about an old fashioned department store mm. as well, and written for kids who were probably, I mean, what would you say the age range for this book is? Uh, sort of coming up to about year seven, I think. So, yeah. so year, year three to year six or year seven, yeah. I think. So you sort of, you know, like not yet teenagers. Yeah. And so 
you know, there's a lot of stuff that they would be familiar with as being young kids in the 80s that mm. nowadays feel like quite old-fashioned and a bit weird. Yeah. Um, like one of the things that struck me really weird when they're going up, which happens shortly in the book, um, when they after they meet the abbot and they, they go up to find Arnold Brothers, is there's uh, an, an escalator up to the top floor, which is just offices. You're right. You're like, why would there be an escalator there? That, that like the public the don't go up there. You just have a lift. But, oh, I hadn't um, thought about that. You're right. Service stairs, you know. And they would have had to add those in later because they wouldn't have had those in 1905. Yeah. Mm, so they would have been retrofitted. Too. Unless it was literally for the Arnold brothers who were getting on in age and wanted to be able to get to their offices. Yeah. And they'd amassed enough wealth through their other Arnco, Arnco industries <laughs> that they could afford to just put in moving stairs to the True. offices. Well, I mean, they might also have downsized the store a bit and put the offices in there. Oh, yeah, who things knows? might have moved around, yeah. I don't know. But before we get to that, the thing tells them the store's going to be destroyed, mm. although it has a bit of trouble <laughs> conveying, conveying that, that idea. Yeah. Uh, so they run off to see the abbot. And there's a great exchange there where on the way, um, you know, Master's saying, well, we'll just have to leave. Mm. And Dawkins is like, there's nowhere else to go. And he says, of course there is. It's outside. I've just been there. And he says, no, not if you don't believe in it, there isn't. Mm. And it reminded me of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. <laughs> you know, they have the discussion about England and one of them is saying, you know, I don't believe in it. He says, what, you conspiracy of cartographers, you mean? And he's like, no, I mean, I don't believe in it. <laughs> Have you ever had that thought on a plane where like, and this is very like matrix self-centered view of like paranoid fleeting thought where you get on a plane and you go, literally, they could just make some noises outside and all the darkness. And then you get back out, you haven't actually moved, but they've just changed the scenery around and the yeah. plane hasn't gone anywhere. <laughs> like, I'm going to think that now. <laughs> I, I hadn't till now. Because <laughs> you're like, it, it could be a thing. It could all just be like the Truman Show giant conspiracy. You think you're going lots of places, but really you're in the same place and everyone else is in on it. God. Well, I mean, they're about to build windowless planes too. So To make it easier. Yeah. Well, I mean, their, <laughs> their excuse is that it'll remove, you know, two thirds of the weight because of the structural stuff required to do a window. And then they're going to put fake windows on with TV screens that come from cameras outside so you're still seeing what's outside but you're not they don't have to build the arches that support a window right that's weird so it'll use less fuel and be better for the environment because the plane will weigh so much less and better for the environment so they don't have to do all the fake clouds going past the already fake windows they can just pre-record those and use them over and over again yeah wow Oh, they could probably even write a program that generates random ones so you don't get fooled by repetition. Yeah, wait a minute. I've seen that Abraham Lincoln-shaped cloud before. <laughs> and then the gas comes and makes you all fall asleep until it's the next day. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh. We've got it all worked out. I'm, I'm freaked out by this. <laughs> there, There is one country and it is very small. <laughs> That's it. Oh. Yeah. Well, they, the the trip to see the Abbot is not like that. They really do go to see mm-hmm. uh, to the stationery department to see the stationery. There's that another line, you know, it's very hard to meet someone who believes you don't exist. And the Abbot refuses to see them quite literally mm. um, and sends <laughs> them away. And, you know, Masculine is having that realization, you know, as our sort of identification character mm. that religion and politics are really complicated. Yeah, he's having his first realisation that it is not going to be the tasks that are difficult here, it is going to be the people. Mm. Mm. And that's never been the case for him before. He's come from an outside where it was only the tasks. Uh, In fact, possibly even more than it should have been because he begins to realise later that Grimmer was doing the people for him, which is why it was only ever tasks. Yeah, yeah. Grimmer was performing his emotional labour. It's, again, ahead of his time, Mm. really. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, probably not. I'm not sure when that was sort of first discussed. 
Probably, probably before 1989. Well, I'm not sure you were finding it in many fantasy or sci-fi books. To yeah, be honest, that so is true. Maybe sci-fi exploring it a little more. I mean, like you know, McCaffrey was writing feminist science fiction in the 60s, and and Le Guin, Butler, mm. and so on. But certainly wasn't mainstream. Well, no, and I think your average fantasy story, God, still hasn't caught up with the idea of emotional labor. But Terry Pratchett was well ahead. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, look, this this meeting is where the thing does some of the labor as well, not any emotional labor, you know, it being a thing, but describes exactly what's going to happen to the store uh, using, in its own words, small words, mm-hmm. which is very comprehensible, um, or mostly. And still, the abbot's like, take them away. Yeah. But then they meet Gerda, mm-hmm. one of the younger um, stationaries, um, who becomes a major character. And he's sent to sort of, you know, come and find them or show them around. Well, no, he, he comes and find them. them. That's right. He comes back for a quick secret confab mm. with the abbot in a secret place because he's like, well, I had to. I couldn't officially just say I was wrong in front of everybody. Yeah. Like, I, um, but I'm going to listen to you now because you know maybe you're right, but I can't just say that out of. Can't nowhere. just do a 180 on the spot. Mm. Be carnage. And then he says, no, I'm going to talk to the thing. Mm. You you go off and show them a few things. So Gerda does, and they. Well, they learn they learn the ways of Arnold Brothers a little bit. They learn a bit more about the store and the weird mm. things that the gnomes believe about the store, yes. like the way they interpret the store's signs, like you know everything mm-hmm. under one roof and um, everything must go. And they they name the seasons after the sales that are on each uh, year, the Christmas fair, yeah, <laughs> which I thought spring was into amazing. spring fashion, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so good. And every time, uh, and this happens when they go upstairs, and every time they see a thing that Gerda recognizes mm-hmm. and they ask him what it is, he just reads, he just recites the advertising the copy like a thing. liturgy. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. Add that executive touch with this swivel chair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a delight. Oh, yeah. He's 100% great. genuine oak finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Or veneer. So they're having a look around there, asking about the religious stuff. And then the, they get fetched back to see the abbot again mm. who's now like all right i've been talking to this thing and it tells me that the, the whole place is going to be demolished it seems to know what it's talking about but i'm not going to like you know announce this without checking it out mm. you're going to have to go and ask arnold brothers yeah seek the you the, the wisdom store. of the top floor yeah and he's like one who'd been there in his youth oh and actually they say that there were no moving stairs when he went up when he was young yeah mm. so they, they do. must have You're been right. added so in. they're quite a new addition yeah Yes, yeah, so let's um, add moving stairs into the store that's failing and we need to demolish. Well, I <laughs> well, mean, you know. you know, you'd be trying to give it a pep up first. It was 12 yeah. years ago. Pro- well, who knows how long, how old he was. Within the last 15 years, though. Sometime in the last 15 years. years yeah. and presumably not 15 years ago. So, mm. Mm. Yeah, he would have had to be old enough to go. Yeah, <laughs> as they're going up and, and Gerda's getting nervous and his teeth are chattering. <laughs> and he's oh, like, oh, I don't really... I don't really believe in prices slashed. Oh, the names of the like gods and demons in this book is so oh, good. Just incredible. I yeah. mean, the, the the moment that Angelo meets them and says "bargains galore" as an exclamation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As someone who has spent, I can't even tell you how much time trying to come up with good exclamations that don't sound contemporary that world build. Yeah. I mean, you know, every writer knows this, right? That it's impossible. Yeah. And the second I read that, I just had a little moment as a writer of like, oh. Respect Terry Pratchett. Yeah, it was so good. <laughs> so good because it's not just plausible, it actually has the feeling of an exclamation. Mm, and it yeah. has, you know, although it sounds a bit Bond girl, like it has the <laughs> feeling of, but it has the feeling of a name that that yeah. could be someone's first and last name, especially with the types of names that gnomes have. 
Yeah. Mm. And not just that, but all the things they encounter on the way up there. But yeah, I, did, I did like when he's like, she's teeth are chattering. He's like, I don't really believe in Bryce's slash, but my teeth believe in <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and my knees great. and my stomach. Uh, and then he said, but we have to go right now. And they're like, why? Because if we wait any longer, I'll be too scared to go. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought, Delighted me that bit. Oh, he's, very, he's actually very brave, Gerda. He's mm. one of those characters who is depicted as like very timid and a coward, but he keeps doing all these things even though he's afraid of them. Mm-hmm. Right, he's rinsewind. Um yeah, 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 he's a little bit rinsewindy, isn't he? Um, yeah, the whole time he's screaming about how he wants to be somewhere else, mm. but he does it every time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and he's right. in this institution of learning, but he's not really quite right for it. Or maybe he's the most right for it and mm. everyone else is wrong. But he's yeah. got a few questions already. Mm. Mm. Um, and, then, and again, the abbot says, leave the thing behind. I'm going to talk to it. And he does, and it starts telling him about starships and you know other galaxies and mm. stuff and it's like whoa this is how come Maskin doesn't find out about this and he does later but it happens yeah. kind of a bit off screen but just ima- imagine finding that out after this whole sheltered entire yeah. life yeah. of everything is the store i mean it, it'd sort of be on on our level the equivalent of someone saying oh this is only one dimension yeah. And actually there are billions and we can access them and you came from another one and we're going to go back there. Yeah. That would just be, you know, I mean, we could all imagine that because we've all, you know, we've seen and watched and heard science fiction. Yeah. But if that was actually happening in your life, oh, yeah. it would blow your mind. It's yeah. like that episode of Rick and Morty where, like, his car battery is world within world within world. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just, oh, or in weird. Men in Black where, like, at the end... It's a locker and like the mm-hmm. earth is just inside the locker in a bigger subway station. Oh yeah. And there's mm. in the first one there's the, the, the thing they've been like the MacGuffin that yeah. they're getting is the, the little bauble which has mm-hmm. the whole universe inside it. You're like, what how does that work? Yep. But, but still weird, right? And equal kind of mind blowing stuff. And their their epic journey up to the top floor mm-hmm. is like it's the most traditionally fantasy bit of the book in some Definitely. ways. As they see all the weird things they've been told, like buckets of fire and um, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, bargains galore and prices. And, and they meet the outlying tribes. Oh yeah, who give them a guide and they live on yogurt and biscuits from the tea room. Yeah, Yeah, they call them the the where are they from? Because they're from soft clothes, like children's clothes, kids' clothes. Yeah, and they call them the Clothians with a K. Yes. Yeah, and when they're on their way, is it there that they meet the the bandits, or is that earlier? That's That's earlier. earlier. That's earlier. We skipped that bit. We did. That's one of my favorite. The corsetry bandits. (laughs) The corsetry bandits, and it's such a classic Pratchett moment, like talking about it being a Pratchett primer, this yeah, book. Yeah. The idea that they say, well, we're robbing you. And then I just, it said the outside gnomes went into a huddle. Yeah. Like they're going to consult on this new concept. And they come back and they're like, politely decline. Yeah, it's all the same to you. We think we'll just keep what we have. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he's like, we're robbing you. What? We're robbing you. Oh, it's the knife in his mouth. It's must, maybe take that out and then we can hear what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they just easily, like all of them, just easily beat the crap out of these. <laughs> yeah, inc- inclu- including the elderly yeah, outsiders all get in, get in on the fight. Because they, they fight off foxes, like some corsetry bandits and nothing. And nothing. Yeah. But this idea that, does I mean, you know, that robbery is kind of this social convention mm. that, mm. you know, doesn't really seem like the corsetry bandits would actually stab anyone. So it's really just an understanding. Yeah, they just give a bit of a show of force and people give in. Yeah. And they're well, like, well, we're not going to do that. Well, it's like that thing, isn't it, that... 
what if children find out that there's nothing after you count down from three? It's the threat that there's going to be something. Oh, like, yeah. You stop mm-hmm. that and I'm going to start counting down. Cal Wilson talked about that. Yeah. 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 That's why yeah. you get slower and slower as you count down. Yeah. Oh, it's coming. Like, just, oh, well. I see it in schools too where they start going one and a half. Yeah. <laughs> one. And the fear mounting at the back of the eyes. Yeah, yeah. But they, they do make it to the top. They make it to what they see the names on the mm-hmm. doors and they go into the Arnold Brothers office. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my favorite part about this is when they're looking at the chair and like they describe it like you said earlier. Mm-hmm. But um, Grimm is sort of going, it's kind of a human-sized chair. Mm-hmm. And, and <laughs> Gerd is like, oh, I expect humans sit there when Arnold Brothers is telling them things. What to do, yeah. And he goes, what do you look like? <laughs> yeah. She's like clearly going, I reckon... He's a human. human. And then yeah. they're like, no, we're not going yeah. there. No, no, he was the size of a human. Mm. So he's the size of a human and he sits in a, in a in human, human chair reads a human word. This is why women yeah. can't read books. Their brains will overheat. <laughs> well, and I mean, remember, Grimmer wasn't meant to be on this expedition in the first place. Mm. No, but she insists. And, and the, yeah. the whole reason it doesn't take forever is like they're waiting at the bottom of the moving stairs, which was very Harry mm. Potter moments. Right. <laughs> um, and then... They're just sort of going, oh, we'll just check out if it's safe. And then Grimmie just goes, oh, bugger this. And just runs just forward jumps and jumps on. on. Mm. And they have to follow her. She's like, yeah. we would have been there all day figuring out if it was safe. Yeah. Like, yeah, good on you. And then, oh, there's a moment somewhere, I forget where, where someone says to Masculine, you know, like tell her not to do that. And he looks at them and says, I have never told her to do anything in her life. Yeah. And he's not being an outraged feminist. He's just like, the sky is blue. Yeah. With white fluffy things in it, and I don't tell Grimmer to do. Th- Are you serious? Yeah, it's the witches all over again. It's yeah. you know, it's it's Nanny Og saying to all her, you know, her sons, you know, ah, oh, well, I'm sure you'll know what's best for the family when you decide to do X. Mm. No, mm. pull and the have- strings rather than having the responsibility directly. Yeah. yeah, and they do it. And and the thing is, I think what he's calling on there is that kind of very traditional English village setup. Yeah, where you know that's. That's almost a cliche that that the women are running it, but the men are allowed to think so. It's like whenever Miss Marple's on a case. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, she lets the cops think that they're doing all the work. Mm. But they they make it not just into the office, onto the desk um, with the paperclip ladder, which I thought was great. Mm -hmm. And Gerda's like, I would never have thought of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then they find a letter and they read it and it Mm -hmm. reveals that, yep, absolutely, this store's going to be demolished. Because Arnco, the company that started by founding this store, has gotten really big and the store is no longer really a profitable enterprise. So mm. it's time to get rid of it and then they're going to build a brand new modern department store. And a leisure center. That's right. Yeah. And Grimmer's like, what's leisure? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and you realize it's not just that she doesn't know the word, it's the concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and there's got that great bit where, you know, Gerda reads it and then he starts freaking out and he's like, oh, we're doomed, we're doomed. And then they see that Price is Slashed is coming through the door, the mm, guy with the, the torch. security guard. And mm. um, <laughs> Maskin just says, do you think you could go and be doomed on the floor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's such a Pratchett line as well. It is. Well, and then when then they've got their hands clapped over his mouth and they say, if I take my hand off your mouth, are you going to be all doomed, doomed again? Yeah. He's like, no. <laughs> are you going to be quiet? <laughs> Um, and then they're they're saved by bargains galore, mm-hmm. yeah. um, who comes by with the vacuum cleaner, yeah, uh, and distracts the security guard. And I like how he sort of goes, "Oh, apparently the you know the humans in the store have their names written on them." So this guy's called Security. Mm-hmm. Um, and he thinks he's found the real name of, of Prices Slashed. 
And what's um, what's the quote about like? And he sits in the basement drinking his horrible cups of tea or something. Oh, it's just yeah. like you picture this like kindly old man. He's described sort of having like white hair and a moustache, mm-hmm. and he's just peering around this old department store, sitting in the basement drinking a cup of tea, and they're like this horrifying image of this like eldritch, terrible thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's just great. Someone's grandpa. Yeah, who everyone's like, oh, we should probably get someone else in the job, but you know, Gus has been there forever, and yeah, hmm. yeah. And he just, I don't, what would he do with himself? Yeah, <laughs> we'll keep him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they head back down. Uh, and Baston takes the letter with him, which I thought was quite like a smart move. Mm. Like he folds it up with his spear. I was like, how are you going to carry it? I was like, oh. And that was one of the moments where I was like, I really had to remind myself how big the gnomes are. Yeah. Because it gets a little bit confusing when you, if you've also read the carpet people, which is. Um, Who are his, much smaller. Yeah, they're yeah. tiny because they live within the, the threads of a carpet, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it's just. Yeah, it's a. It, they're not that small. Like yeah. They're, they're, well, they're big enough to you know ride around on rats if they want to. So yeah. Um, or have them as you know as, as pets, like large dogs. dogs. Yeah. Yeah. The nitpicky point: you can only fold a piece of paper, and I assume it's an A4 piece of paper. So many times, it'd still Seven. be huge or heavy yeah. in his hand or thick, well, isn't it'd be it? Quite big, but no, because like as it gets to like I don't know, like. That's as small as you can fold a piece of paper, is it? Yeah, that's smaller than a gnome, though. That like would be... It's like carry a quarter that. of its size. So, yeah, doable. It'd be like carrying a giant art portfolio or something. Yeah. yeah. It'd be unwieldy, but probably still preferable to going down and saying, trust me, I promise I saw a letter. Oh, you'd want to take it, but yeah. just I, on a practical sense. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted you to know that I knew you can only fold a piece of paper a certain amount of times. Seven, yeah, as you seven, said. Yeah. 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 I think it's in anything seven times. Is that, is that the... Yeah, they did the, it on uh, Mythbusters, so you know it's true. It's true. they have science. Interesting. Mm. Okay. That's Which is like the magic number of notes, of colours in the rainbow. Wow. The itch yeah. that you get after a certain number of years. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, okay. They, all those things know that you shouldn't go higher than seven, mm-hmm. because if you do, then it's, you risk getting into dangerous territory with well, the next number. That's true. Yeah, that's the true. number we don't speak. The number we don't say. You can't mm-hmm. fold a piece of paper seven A times. Yes. No. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> they they get back down with the yeah. um, with the with the proof. They do, oh, and you know it's just one sentence. But I love this bit where they say they descend because they, they have to come down a different way because there's no down. Uh, I was just pausing because in my family we say we always say upscalator and downscalator. Oh right, <laughs> so there's no downscalator. Yeah, okay. Uh, so they have to go. I think it's down inside the walls, and they're they're yeah. grabbing onto bits of string and cloth that the the clothians have left behind, mm. and it's like with that one sentence. For me, there was this whole epic that was never written about their explorations and their, you know, adventures. The and, founding of gnome civilization. Well, and like, who were these Clothians who went and who left these <laughs> these things pinned up that others might be able to traverse the path more easily? And why were they doing that? And what did it cost them? And you know, yeah. it'd be a Rogue One spinoff. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it feels like it could be its own story because, in a way, it makes them feel to me much more similar to the outside gnomes. Yeah. Because they're sort of a little bit more independent, a little bit more separated. Mm. And, you know, the, I mean, the whole trip up to the office and back again is basically a testament to the fact that the outside gnomes, who everyone thinks are less developed and less educated and less understanding of everything, yeah. are actually the only ones practically capable of doing anything. And it's yeah. not because they're sort of, you know, in that closer to nature kind of model that, again, is really old-fashioned and offensive. It's just that they're the ones who have had to be able to do the, these things to survive. There's yeah. no, no options. You yeah. just have to get stuff done or, or yeah. you get eaten by a fox. Like it's more of a class thing, I think, than a civilization close to nature. Yeah. 
thing. Yeah, I think you're right. And and it, I mean, and this and that journey is really the turning point of the book too, because once they come back down, the old abbot mm. accepts that what they've been saying is true, mm. and with his last words says you must leave, and he sort of dies at that moment. Yeah, and um, it's you know, convenient. It is. It is a bit convenient. <laughs> it's a bit. It's a bit weird that yeah. he seemed okay, but he's he's supposedly very very old. And then when he comes People back down, people do do that though. There's so science true. in on this that the the death rate goes massively up after significant birthdays and significant anniversaries and stuff. So you're holding yeah. on. We tend to hold on. Yeah, that's true. So maybe so that's what maybe he's doing. He's, like he's yeah. hanging on until he's sorted out this one amazing yeah. important thing. I mean, he's clearly been declining while they were gone. Although it's not entirely clear whether he's actually declining or like Granny Morky's medicine is <laughs> making things worse. <laughs> and they don't they don't say how long it takes them to get up to the top, but it's clearly no. a long time. Like yeah. it's at least in the hours, which for gnomes is a very it's long, a long time. time. Yeah. So yeah, he could have been getting worse. And and when they come back, they don't really understand what's happening to him. Granny yeah. Morky says, "Oh, he's dying of being alive for such a long time." And Mess says, yeah. "I didn't know you could die of that." No, he's yeah. never seen anyone get that chance. Yeah. Before oh, yeah. we get to the plan, there's the funeral, which leads to oh, what yeah. happens to gnomes after they, they pass if they've mm. been good. Yeah. Well, let's take you to the gardening department and we'll show you. Oh, it's oh, horrifying, it's isn't it? It's so weird. Can you imagine, like, as humans, if someone was like, this is what happens, and there's just, like, a garden gnome version of humans, they're like, this is what happens to good people. Mm-hmm. That, like, someone, some other people had built and put there and you didn't know who it was. Because they never yeah. cotton on that it's the humans that are making these garden No. Well, I mean, because there's a debate later about the human mannequins. Yeah. Mm. Are these good humans who are allowed to be in the store forever or are these bad humans who have been frozen? No one's clear. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting given that the garden gnomes are supposed to definitely be good gnomes. And so the mannequins would be humans, wouldn't they? Because uh, they just added G. Oh, yeah. To the beginning. <laughs> yes. yes. And then Torret, um gives us a bit of insight into life outside when he was young mm. as well because he's oh, like I've, yeah. I've seen one of these gnomes and everyone's just kind of like oh yeah whatever it's like granny morky's saying i caught a banana in the wild that was much bigger than the one here but he has like he went off on an adventure and he saw it in the garden and no one believes him for yeah he's describing quite a plausible experience of going to someone's house and seeing a garden gnome in the garden yeah there was a wee contradiction here because he talks about it being in the garden of someone's and i don't know if he says house but it's clearly in the garden mm. of someone's home yeah and then later Grimmer says, what's a house? That's yeah. right. It's a masculine. And which might just be that she's never seen a house. Yeah. But it seemed to me unusual that the outside gnomes would never... She's three. Well, masculine get... says to her, she's three mm. years old. Almost yeah. three. Almost, yeah. yeah. And you get... Well, maybe... I think you get the idea that sort of that sort of experience led the outside mm. gnomes to just try and avoid humans as much Completely, as possible. Yeah. And mm. so they... Because when we meet them at the start, they're very much in the wilderness. They're yeah. not near any, you know, housing estates or anything yeah. or, or um, residential areas. And the cat's a villain in a Pratchett book. Mm. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I was like, it could just as easily have been a dog or a fox, but he chose to make... A cat, the one who attacked the person in Torrid's old party back yeah. then. Maybe he knows, even though how much he loves cats, he knows it's most it's likely they to would have been do. a cat. A cat yeah. would be all over gnomes. Like, there's, oh, no yeah. tomorrow. there's gnome yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and so, yeah, so that's a bit of horrendousness. And as you alluded to earlier, they talk about the difference in burial customs, mm-hmm. but also just the things that they believe, like you know, where you go after you die, like you have mm-hmm. to go down into the furnace and... Uh, yeah. Be judged by prices slashed, and mm-hmm. then hopefully go up to join Arnold Brothers in the top floor. Like, what would you do if, like, you were like doing your normal furnace business as a human worker in this department store, and you just found like teeny tiny humanoid remains? 
Like, uh-huh. would you tell someone? Would you just be like, that didn't happen. I choose not to believe in that. Like, I mean, I think in the Pratchett verse, that's what you would do because in the Pratchett verse, no matter which world you're in, people have an extraordinary ability to not see things. Mm, it's like the TARDIS, see. you just accept it. Yeah. 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 But yeah, so I just had that when I was reading, I was like, oh no, like... It's well, I mean, it's the same as at one point someone sees one of the gnomes' pieces of clothing and just dismisses it. Is hmm. it in the truck or something? Oh, yeah, because yeah. Angelo leaves his jacket behind and, yeah. and Masklin finds it, but then the humans don't notice it. Or it might be even when they find the truck at the end and there's all of the strings in it and stuff, and they're like, there's loads of strings in here. <laughs> yeah, but there, there is a point, it'll come back to me, at which I think some a human sees a piece of clothing but doesn't seem to recognise what it is, which I would have thought the gnomes would be big enough that that would... Yeah, I guess they might just think it's dolls' clothing. Dolls or something. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. But so they they um, have the funeral. They learn about the afterlife, sort mm-hmm. of, and yeah. then they decide on the plan because Gerda is now the new abbot. Yeah, yeah. almost uh-huh. immediately they decide. Yeah. This is the joy of writing for younger readers: is you can kind of just go from one thing to the next. Mm. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if you were writing a much larger book aimed at adults, you would have to show all of the power shifts that happen around Gerda and the settling in and the everything else. But instead you can just jump straight to, I have to give a speech because I'm the new abbot and we're going to announce the plan. Because there's literally yeah. an entire Dan Brown book about choosing the new Pope. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, so just assume that <laughs> happened in the middle. And then... Yeah. And one thing, other thing to say is like that whole bit, like going up to the top, coming back down again, mm. having the funeral for the abbot and deciding that we got, we got to leave and make a plan. That's all one chapter. Like that yeah. is, that is like the biggest, most stuff happening chapter in the book. Yeah. I and mean, this is one of the things about middle grade is, is that you can go from thing to thing to thing. Yeah. But not the and, thing. But not the thing to the thing to the thing. Cause there's only one of those, yeah. but mm. you can move between plot points with, with quite a lot of ease and just trust that the reader just uses their common sense and says oh well i can see what would have happened it would have been that Mm. and it's only as we get older that we become more annoying readers and start saying well but what about the interpersonal relationship there and you Mm. know when you write for kids they're like oh yeah seems legit that's what would happen oh but they haven't got three years experience in the publishing industry so like he can't possibly be the no yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah it's it's time to tell the plan to the other gnomes and they Mostly do not like it. Um, no. And he, uh, he tells Gerda what it is first, mm. but then to the other gnomes, they're like, well, we can't go anywhere. And he's like, yeah, we can if we steal a lorry. And mm-hmm. they're like, what <laughs> is happening with your mouth? You are making <laughs> no sense except for, and I love this bit, the, 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 the Duke de Ironmongery just raises an eyebrow and he's like, yeah. tell me more. <laughs> Whereas everyone else is like, this is rubbish and I'm out of here. Uh, Well, not everyone, but most of them. Yeah. Yeah. This is ridiculous. Um, Well, and after everyone storms out, he says, ah, room to breathe. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That was nice. And he starts just telling them what they need and he just goes for it and Mm. says all this stuff they didn't tell Gerda in advance. He's like, we're going to need people. So we're going to need people to... Um, you know, do things and make things and figure out how to steal a lorry. And we're going to need books because we have to mm-hmm. learn how to do the thing. And that means we're going to yeah. need to teach more people to read, including women. Yeah. And they're all like, what? Whoa, buddy. <laughs> I am stealing a lorry and going outside the store is one thing, but let's not get crazy. Yeah. The ladies' brains will catch on fire. I know this is something we didn't mention about the stationery, but they, mm. they very much are a priestly class. They're not yes. like a proper noble family because no. they don't, it's just men. Like mm. who've yeah. joined them. Each family sends about five male children or young yeah. men each. Every so often. Each. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's um, yeah, it's a big flip of a lot of the conventions of the store. Yeah. The delicatessen lady is like good, like she doesn't say it, but you can see the her kind of going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I like is that it's not. It's clear that the the lady from the delicatessens hasn't been thinking all this time. Oh, I bet I could read if only they'd let me. Mm. She's been suspecting she yeah. could read because yeah. later when Grimma is reading, she says to her, "How is it?" And Grimma's like, "Fine." And she says, "No headaches." Yeah, that's <laughs> you know, right. like she's she's not sure. She's trying to figure it out. Yeah, mm. which I, I liked. I thought it was more nuanced than her being just frustrated mm. from moment one. Yeah. But then, you know, once they've got a few people on side, they've mm. just got to try and figure out how to make it work. Yeah. And that's when Nasslin starts learning from the thing about critical path analysis. Critical path analysis, <laughs> which is just a delight. <laughs> Who puts that in a book for kids? I know. And it's such a practical explanation of mm-hmm. it as well. It's like it means that, you know, when you have to do a thing, before you do the thing, you have to figure out all the things you have to do in order to do that thing. Yeah. And what order you have to do them in. And you're like... Well, that makes sense. Yeah, and this is this is where Grimmer is like, "What's bricks? What's a house?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and he's like, "Look, it doesn't matter. What <laughs> what matters is yeah." And no, and it's so clear and clever. But again, it's an example of if this was a grown up book, you would have to show the scene between Masculine and the thing in which he was taught this. Yeah, he couldn't just say BT Dubs. I've had a scene off camera. Yeah, where I learned all this important stuff that I'm now relaying to you. Yeah, you mm. just sort of you just sort of getting to the action part. Yeah, and just saying. So this happened, which means now we can do the cool bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the next bit is a cool bit because it's Angelo's yep. big trip outside, where it's yeah. it's like an, sending an astronaut into space. They lower him yeah. down into one of the lorries that's going to go off, so and he can try and learn how you drive one and where they go. And they and they use all these space lines. They say mm. Angelo has landed. Yeah. The eagle has landed. Yeah, and I mean, nice. you know, stuff like that that's less blatant than, well, one small step for a gnome, one yeah. giant leap for gnome kind. Yeah, we oh. do also say. Give me somewhere to stand and I can move the accelerator pedal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's great because Angelo's the son of this really sort of oppressive leader mm. of his own haberdashery mm. clan. He sneaks off to learn to read and he reads all the books that they find with pictures of lorries in the front. Yeah. And so it's just funny because he would have read like the children's books, the random things, and he gets in the cabin and he's just speaking in lorry speak yeah 10-4 yeah. <laughs> negatory yeah yeah and it's so good because he's alone in that mm-hmm. yeah so nobody else knows what the hell he's on about he's a delightful little train spotter is what he is oh, you're yeah. right yeah and he's, and he's yeah. so excited um, but then he disappears he doesn't come back for mm. like two whole days which is like a long time for he gnomes knows, yeah. good thing and, he packed some sandwiches which was the cutest thing yeah. ever yeah. but yeah but then his lorry comes back without him and it's got his jacket in it and, and his and sandwich wrapper Maston's like I told him not to go outside yeah. like the lorry what's he doing where is he and they don't know and his dad assumes that he's dead and that's what changes his mind he realizes yeah. his son believed in this enough to risk and possibly lose his life and so he says what do you need and Maston's like what he's like I, mean, yeah. well, I guess i need people how many people uh 50 and he's like Great, right. you shall have them yes and then the last thing he says to him is you know don't do succeed or, or something yeah you know, he's like just make sure it works well i had the impression he thought maybe angelo was still out there and could be rescued by yeah. this effort oh, because okay. he says to masculine and if this works my son is out there oh yeah and masculine right. has the moment where he thinks to himself you know about this idea that it is more important to be certain sometimes as a leader than it is to be sure yeah and so he says it's possible yeah. and on that basis, he gets all this help and he's thinking it's not possible. Mm. And I I almost had shades of veterinary when the uh, when his father said, succeed. 
I thought, or you are going to find yourself hanging upside down over a pit. Yeah. Like that's... Yeah. Because how does the haberdashery work? They mm. can just be like, 50 people, go do the thing. Yeah. Like, he yeah. rules that with an iron fist. Yeah, yeah like really this does. is a guy who is... As you realise how much of an iron fist he has, because he just mm. sends 50 people who were presumably doing something else and a few all moments soldiers. ago. Yeah, mm. and they're all... So he has that many soldiers. Mm. It makes you realise how much he must love Angelo if Angelo has been allowed to just defy him over and over and over again. Mm. And yet he's still adores him you know yeah. yeah it's quite touching really it is in its, its own terribly toxically masculine yeah sort of exactly yeah but and so much is conveyed in such mm. a small mm. amount of words which yeah are, yeah i mean because we've had to unpack all of that none of it is said mm. Mm. but like we know it's mm. fact yeah so, yeah 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 I, i'm just wondering ever since you said it though i've been wondering if the iron glove is in a velvet Sorry, the Iron Fist is in a velvet glove oh because he's from the haberdashery. Yeah. So surely... The very best velvet. Mm. Mm. Anyway, uh, so that happens. And then Angela does return on a different mm-hmm. lorry uh, with crazy tales of the outside and how yeah. he reckons we can drive the lorry and like they do go places, we can do this. You know, and he's a bit excitable and he has to be told to lie down. And that's, you know, that's a pretty short chapter, actually. Unfortunately, they find out that they just don't have the time to mm-hmm. figure it out. They try. They start trying. They get Dorcas on board. They're like, mm-hmm. okay, how are we going to do this? Um, I'm not really sure. Um, can we Can we do, you know, how are we going to move the thing? It's huge. Like you've got to move the wheels and you've got to move the pedals. Mm-hmm. And Dorcas is like, well, I can do the pedals. That's easy. That's just levers. But yeah. what are we going to do about the wheel and how are yeah. we going to see and steer? And then someone brings this. Um, we've skipped over a bit, but there's this great bit where there's a couple of the new readers keep bringing him all these very useless books, like you know the one about the hostage crisis. So he's like, we should get a GNU. Yeah, <laughs> get, get a human to do it. Another proto Pratchettian yeah. investigation. Well, because this is before Men at Arms, so mm-hmm. it's before he's written a book about Correct. a gun. Um, a GNU and a gun, but never. Yeah. <laughs> and then he asks the thing, "What a GNU is?" He's like, "It's an it's an antelope." Yeah. <laughs> he's like, "Well, do we have one in the store?" Is there a pet section? <laughs> no, like, then no. it is unlikely. Uh, but then... But I said that the thing never... It's quite gnomish. It never says to him, what is making you ask me about this animal? Yeah, it just answers the question. So that it could then potentially, you know, figure out what he means and answer what he actually needs to know. It just answers the question. It's yeah. like a genie as well. Like it takes things very literally, but then it also gives detailed answers. And when they don't understand, it goes, it just means yes. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Like when they he, he asks it if the... Abbott is dead and it says there are no life signs detected. And he's like, yeah. what does that mean? It means yes. yes. Um, yeah. I grew up with a mum in IT who always said to me, the problem with computers is they don't do what you want. They do what you ask. Oh, there's a rhyme about that, which yeah. goes, um, I hate my computer. I wish that I could sell it. It never does what I want. Only what I tell it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly uh, right. It's, it's pretty accurate. They bring one more ridiculous book, mm-hmm. which is not, that useless, which is Gulliver's Travels. And they're yeah. looking at him. See, we could capture a human. They're obsessed with this idea. Uh, and then that gives Mastin the idea ropes. And he has that great moment where he says, I see the way. Yes. And then he exclaims, Arnold Brothers S1905. Like he's picked it up as well. Mm, and, and he's starting to wonder about religion, Masklin. Mm. And that's the thing mm. is I... Terry Pratchett never just outright mocks religion. Mm. No. He never just outright says it's stupid or people who believe in it are stupid. He always asks lots of questions about it. And you begin to see, you know, at, at the beginning, Masklin will just say, you know, may Arnold Brothers S 1905 watch over us to sort of placate the masses. Mm. But then later on, he's thinking, oh, I'll say it just in case. Yeah. Yeah, never know. Yeah. No atheists in foxholes. And there's that line a bit later where like one of them's explaining it. 
it's because of Arnold Brothers, and the other one's like, oh, it's luck. Oh, yeah, Gerda's talking about it. Is, is, that, is, that, is that what you mean at right the end? Right at the end. Yeah, um, where he's, he, they're looking at the store after they've escaped. Oh, it's mm. when they, and then when they come across their eventual later oh, yeah. location. That's know. right, yeah. But um, I have a quick question about Gulliver's Travels here. Mm. Is it in this world something that literally happened? Because like, oh. they're like, oh, yeah, so we're represented in a book. It's really nice to see. And I'm like... Is it like thinly veiled nonfiction, like Gulliver's Travels? Also, is it meant to be like Jonathan Swift met gnomes yeah, because, and wrote about them in Gulliver's Travels? Because I had that whole thing about gnomes crashed here so long ago that they gave humans agriculture. They taught them how to do certain things in the hopes that they'd get into space travel, but mm. humans just move a bit too slow for that. So, like, did Gulliver's Travels happen? Oh, well, maybe. Is it like a, like a secret history yeah. where... We're wandering around in this world thinking, oh, it's a clever allegory from, you know, Swift. And actually, yeah, no, literally. Swift masked it as an allegory, but actually. Maybe he heard like the ri- a legend. real Gulliver tell the mm-hmm. story and that inspired his book. Because he also wrote about, you know, the giants and Brogning Bag and the, mm. the Hunams and the um, the Yahoos and all those things. I've probably pronounced half those wrong, but yeah. Uh, so maybe that's the inspiration. But yeah, maybe it did. I don't know. Because there's a whole thing about the blurring between fiction and non-fiction here because they don't know what's fiction and non-fiction. They just yeah. read whatever books are available and then they have to... And there's a line there, I can't remember it off the top of my head, about how it's for the faithful to figure out what's the what's true and what's not, what, what's literally real and what isn't. Yeah. Yeah. And they the, have no concept of fiction books. Because yeah, why would someone do that yeah. <laughs> to them? Which is just so delightfully meta in a... <laughs> assumedly fiction <laughs> book. book yeah 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 <laughs> yeah that was great but that leads them to like figuring out how they're going to the do genius it genius idea but just as they're figuring that out they're like oh we know what mm. to do then it all goes wrong because i think they've got two weeks left mm-hmm. before they have to go but they're already removing stuff from the store and doing preliminary works which means they don't have two weeks to yeah. gather all the stuff they need they're gonna have to leave as soon as possible and it's proof that they've never watched tv because they know like, if they had, they'd know that if you explain the plan, the plan will not work. Yeah, right? <laughs> it just goes wrong. Basic. Come on. Yeah. 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 True. But yeah, it's. I liked it though because I love moments in books where I get caught out in the same way the characters do. They told me what the demolition date was, twenty-one days, and I went, got it, twenty-one days. And I didn't, even though I know more about demolition than they do, mm. I didn't stop to think, well, if that's the day the actual, you know, TNT gets put in then they're presumably going to be stripping the store of valuable stuff before that time and you know yeah. as as in fact they do mm. so i had the same uh, moment as the characters did which i liked yeah, yeah. harsh um mm. and they're like well we've got no time to like figure this out we just got to do it so yeah. they abandon the plan of collecting stuff to put into the lorry and mm. just say we just well they're already the humans are loading stuff onto the lorries yeah we just have to pick one that's got the kind of stuff we probably need and they the Dorcas finds one mm-hmm. and then this is where like Dorcas really comes into his own at this part of the oh, book this wonderful exchange mm. where Dorcas is like well we're gonna need to practice and Masculine's like okay and Dorcas is like how many how, how many nights do we have to practice and yeah. Masculine's like including the night that we will be driving the truck away one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, can't be done, but yeah. we'll do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're an engineer, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. He's very, he's very Scotty from Star Trek. He in super a way. is. Yeah. Yeah. But he's also he's also got that great moment where they're watching the humans and mm. like he's just come up with all these answers. Yeah. And he's just telling them to masculine. He's like, 
oh, we took this. What is that? He goes, oh, he took the fuse. What's a fuse? He goes, this is. Yeah. <laughs> like, so they can't start the car and they can't yeah. start the lorry and take it away. And then they turn the lights off. Yeah, and- but won't they replace the fuse? Well, they can if they like. We cut the wire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which wire? All of them. <laughs> what? <laughs> and uh, they just, yeah, they, they did so much stuff to just get the humans to give up and go home a bit early. And mm. you're just like, this is genius. And the yeah. understanding of human nature, they're going to be like, why don't they figure out we've done something? That they're like, oh, no, they'll just blame the humans in another part of the store for having done this. And yeah. you hear like the guy kicking the lorry because it's not working. And <laughs> He's it's like, yeah. temper, temper. <laughs> Yeah, oh, it's beautiful. Um, and it reminds me, actually, in, in the TV series, because all the gnomes are stop-motion animated mm-hmm. at Cosgrove Hall, but all the humans are real human beings, mm. and they're filmed in kind of this weird slow-mo. And it's very 80s, like, videotape slow-mo, mm. so it doesn't look very good, but it's they're sort of blurry and they move slowly, and they're in the background as the gnomes are sort of watching. Although they do this weird mix of stop-motion and live-action for the lorry scenes where the, the, a lot of it is stop motion because they've got a model of the store already. Oh. But then out on the road, there's an actual police car and an actual lorry and people mm. get out of it. And then there's like, you see the gnomes scurry underneath. Um, so yeah, it's, it reminded me of that because there's this bit where you see them kicking the thing and just going temper, temper, temper. temper. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was so good. Um, but that's it. They've just got to go. So they get everybody mm. on board um, and they think they know what they've got to do. They get out the highway mm. code. <laughs> Yeah, Look you in the have mirror. to read the highway code before you can drive. Well, it it says like so. The rules of the road. Uh, and they do the things that it says in there. Look in the mirror. What do you <laughs> see? <laughs> Myself. Okay. Yeah. Well, the main thing is we've done it. <laughs> yeah. And then they, they get it all into gear. They've got the gangs downstairs ready to pull on the gear stick uh, and to operate the pedals and also to pull the wheel left and right. They finally get the engine started. Mm-hmm. And they go backwards. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is not good. Good. And it, well, and he says, Dorcas, open the door. And there's a long pause. And Dorcas says, you're going to laugh when I tell you this. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and, but it's getting urgent because yeah. Angelo's like, oh, we, I can smell Dizol, which is what they call the, the fuel for the lorries. Yeah. Uh, and he knows that it can bust. And I love how he's got this really practical knowledge. I'm like, where yeah. did you find this out? Did you read this in a book or did you see this happen? Yeah. Um, Billy but- and Jamie go to the seaside and learn about Dysol. <laughs> yeah. But again, like Angelo's not stupid. No, he's really He's not. a weird little train spotter, but yeah. he's not stupid. No. He's been paying attention. And he's like, yeah, look, we want to get out of here. Like we've, if we've spilled that on the ground, like it, it'll go up, like it just bursts into flame. And they're like, whoa, does it? Because yeah, it just sort of makes this noise. It goes, woof, woof. Yeah. And he's like, just woof. He goes, woof is enough. <laughs> yeah. and, but good thing there's no fire until... Price is slashed no. appears on yeah. Smoko. Yeah, with a Smoko. And yeah. he sees yeah. the he sees the gnomes. He's yeah. the first human to see them. And it's so good. It's just like the religious one like pop like the was it the abbot pops out and is like, yeah. Thou shalt not smoke exits this way. Yeah, yeah, and like, right. how would you react to that? Yeah, this yeah. tiny little human jumping up and screaming the words from your own sign at you in fury. Yeah. And and, and I got the because it's all dark. And it says he's just lit by by a flashlight. So I had the impression almost of like the torch under the chin, you know, oh, and yeah. in the dark and Gerda screaming in the dark, thou shalt not smoke in the name of Arnold Brothers. That's 19. <laughs> yeah. And he's just sort of shocked and he like mm-hmm. opens his mouth and the cigarette falls out and it all oh. happens in the TV show. Like as, as you imagine in the book, it all happens in slow motion because mm-hmm. the gnomes are very far. And they're like, quick, get out of here. And he's what about the door? He goes, well, it didn't look very thick, did it? <laughs> And they just drive throughout into mm-hmm. the night. Um, 
they don't get that far. They get maybe a block away and they yeah. crash the lorry. And, and everybody's like, what is happening? Yep. And there's that great line about how he's not going to have his work ruined by a steering committee. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> they crash it and, they, and they're trying to... And they, they end up like... Um, giving Angelo ropes so instead of shouting out go left go right which is too slow he pulls on the ropes to get more immediate effect mm-hmm. from the chain gangs who are moving the wheel yeah. and then they, they set off again and they nearly go down a hole because there's a there's a sign that says yeah. road works ahead and I, yeah. I like that as we're leaving and they look back and they see oh, the yeah. store going up in flames we do catch a little glimpse of prices slashed outside the flames yeah, so yeah. for those of us like me who who would have worried as a child that the security guy was actually killed yeah we're given the quick glimpse of him so we know he's not dead yeah, yeah. everybody's out safely yeah. it's just the building that's going to be destroyed um it's gonna be destroyed anyway so like it's yeah exactly. that's it it's gonna be demolished so has is the thing turned off by now it is yeah, yeah. before they leave the thing mm. is like oh there's that great bit because the thing says yeah. you know i'm gonna shut down to conserve power contact me when you get to your destination mm. And Maston's like, oh, that's all right for the thing, bloody thing. And Grimm is like, well, it said when. Yeah. It could have said if. Yeah. But it's, I don't know, to me that felt a little contrived. That mm-hmm. I, I understand the idea of the thing needing to be near electricity, that it can only store so much. But the thing laying down kind of wisdom about then you will have proved that you can do it, mm. which is sort of the quest that it gives them. Yeah. And I think, well, hang on a minute. Your, your job is actually to get everybody home safely not to morally improve them or <laughs> demonstrate to them what they can do. So yeah. I thought that was more, as soon as you get any electricity, turn me back on would have been a, or I will turn back on would have been a more thingish thing to say. A bit more practical. Yeah. It does sort yeah. of start to get a bit more like an Oracle in this bit, doesn't it? It's like the it, manager yeah. that says, yeah, do the to-do list and I'm going to go off and do some paperwork and it's really having a nap in its office. Yeah. So it's, yeah. <laughs> and I think, I don't know, for me, if, if it had just, been i mean god it's heresy to edit terry pratchett but there was one thing i would tweak it would be to just make it so that the thing is conserving electricity yeah because then it becomes one more trial for them it just becomes one more we've already established the thing doesn't work away from electricity so that's not new information it was therefore it becomes surprising yet inevitable that the thing has to turn itself off Mm. yeah whereas as soon as it goes into oracle mode that's that's a new direction for the book and just felt a little a bit weird unusual but the thing has a definite personality as well yes which but up until this point it's not been that sort of personality no we've seen stuff like there's a there's a a combination of lights that it will show every so often that masculine learns to think of as a very deep sigh Mm, when the the noise are not making sense and that sort of thing but yeah it has not until this point been sort of you know and then you will have you will have proved that you can do this thing Mm. and i thought well isn't your job to get it home particularly if they can't prove that yeah, you know, so because that because I mean, we didn't mention this at the start, but there's that whole thing where he gives it a task accidentally, because yeah. mm. right, he asks him what he wants and get like, us safe. Yeah, and uh, it, now that's it's doing that sort of mm. in a roundabout kind of way. That's the thing, and I guess I feel like asking them to kind of prove what moral stuff they're made of and what their fortitude levels are mm. is not in line with that overall quest. Mm. Yeah, so yeah. that was my, my that was my one moment in the book where I thought. Yeah, dodgy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I, I don't know. I don't think it was necessary. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing is sometimes you something happens and you're like, well, I don't see a better way around it either. But in this case, I think that could just be gone and it would be fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah I can see that. 
But, uh, but this is, I mean, this is the this is the final run. Um, they they finally get the lorry started up again. They avoid the roadworks because it's roadworks ahead. They're like, oh, good, the roadworks. Yeah, and then, then wouldn't it make it... more sense to have a sign when the road doesn't, doesn't work, work ahead? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, funny you should mention that. And and there's that great line where he says, you know, I think that the the signs do say what they mean but what they mean isn't what they say or, yes or exactly and you're like yeah well it's weird because you can learn what the words mean but then you're lacking all of the real world context around for, it yeah um, so it's an interesting exercise in language as well you know when they spot the hole he's like oh, st- stop I'm going to need a whole lot of stop <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> a left, smidgen calm down you yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah but then they they're, on, they're sort of on the open road they're driving along quite smoothly except that the cops are on their tail because, and you know, mm. you mentioned this earlier, it's great mm. when you know something the characters don't know. There's that great moment where they're trying to turn on the lights and they accidentally turn on the radio. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and we the hear what the humans are saying, mm-hmm. but they can't understand it because it's so mm. low and so slow. Yeah. And it's saying, a fire started when a lorry was stolen from Arnold <laughs> yeah. Brothers. And you're like, oh no. Yeah. If you see the them. lorry, call the authorities immediately. <laughs> yeah clearly happens oh yeah and the wipers mm. Liz yeah that's just the thing that always happens when you're trying to turn on your lights and mm-hmm. and yeah I was just want to say in this whole Laurie sequence I finished rereading it this morning then I had to drive here and I really overthought every single part of driving it's <laughs> <laughs> like okay yes yeah, so like click one two all right and then <laughs> did you use any ropes and levers <laughs> oh, oh, just a whole bunch of string yeah <laughs> I mean yeah. that's that's her normal driving though so oh right okay. yeah I got a steering committee I sit in the back yeah <laughs> Oh man, it's like uh, it's like that uh, Mr. Bean episode yeah, where he's just taken think- the seat out of the front of his car so he can get changed in the back seat, but he drives like by things attached to the wheel. Oh, I was thinking of one where he has bought too much furniture from the store and he ties an armchair to the top of his car and he's driving oh. through the windows with brooms. That's yes. right. Oh, terrible. Yeah. Uh, but also great. But wonderful. So Mr. Bean for every Pratchett. Oh, <laughs> there yeah. you go. Uh, but they they outwit the cops by stopping the lorry. You and mean all the prices slashed? All prices slashed. Well, they because they see prices slashed on the mm. road. Who's like waving to them? Stop! Just trying to get them to stop. And Angela's just like, it's only prices slashed. We can run into prices slashed. We and, can just run over prices slashed. That would be good. Masculin <laughs> is like, I'm pretty sure it's actually just a human, and it dodges them. And and Gerd is like, yeah, I'm not sure that was prices slashed. His uniform was the wrong color, and also he had a car with a flashing light on top. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but he's like, but he had the terrible torch and the peaked hat. Yeah, but they're beginning to differentiate a tiny bit more between humans. Yeah. I mean, they never differentiate that mm. far. No, you know, they really the only humans they sort of stay interested in in the future are, are Arnold Brothers' descendants. Yeah, you know? mm. and this is like when they when they on this journey is also when Angelo reveals that he thought maybe we didn't need any of that Arnold Brothers Pisces slash stuff now that we're out of the store, mm. and Gerda's like. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah. yeah. And Goethe's almost immediately formulating a new kind of philosophy in which the whole world, the outside is also a part of Arnold Brothers' creation. Mm. And, you know, everything under one roof. Yeah. So this, you know, he's, the religion can't go, therefore it must adapt. And he's adapting it almost instantly and explaining it almost instantly. Yeah. Like you're saying that it, you know, it must have been Arnold Brothers' design that Masculine and the others came, came. to the store to yeah. save them from the explosion. And he's like, well, we only, the explosion we only happened because we caused it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but they, yeah, they stopped the lorry um, after they dodged the other prices slashed. Uh, and the police car stops behind them. And there's that great little interlude, which mm-hmm. is just from the, 
position of the sort of like if you were watching and you could understand what was being said. Yes. <laughs> uh, these policemen go up to the lorry and they're like, "There's nothing in there but bits mm. of string," uh, which is the first dialogue you hear in the TV show. Is that scene? Yeah. And so after that, they're going to be doing a whole bunch of string theory. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Solving yeah. some knotty problems. Oh. Yeah. oh. <laughs> Getting uh, really tangled up. Uh, oh. oh dear. Getting uh, to the end of their rope. Too many jokes, nerves fraying. <laughs> no, it's never too many jokes. Mm. Uh, it's but, spinning a yarn. But let's yeah. not continue. Um, <laughs> I, oh God, see, now that I join in, it's just... No. Oh, uh, but, but, but you know, but that zoom out and that if you could understand, mm, yeah. not to harp on a thing, but also another early Pratchettism. Like this yeah. book has everything. Because, yeah. mm. you know, in all of the Discworld books, you'll see him, you know, zoom out, whether he's sort of explaining the Discworld or whether he's explaining some social convention in the village of Lanka or whatever he's doing. He'll do that zoom out and that if you could stand here and see this. Yeah. So does it dodger too? There's that thing mm. where you know, if you were an observer on the moon and watching down on that, you yeah. see this happening, and it's like it's not it's not explaining those sort of things, but it's that same kind of let's take a really weird outside position to describe what this. Yeah, bit is. it's this mechanic that he uses. So okay. one other is. Discord thing he uses, Granny Morky, just more pork. Oh, just a yeah. little bit. Yeah. And yeah. Basically using Granny Weatherwax's attitude towards medicine mm-hmm. yes. as well, which is I'll just make you something. And it'll be so horrible you get well. Yeah. <laughs> just to avoid it. Which is a kind of medicine, as, yeah, as the itself. book describes it. It's yeah. a taster plate of everything. Like yeah. The, yeah. the book, like you said. It yeah. is. It's sort of, if you wanted to sort of show someone what Terry Pratchett is, this is a book a, that does that, I think. It's mm. a good intro. Yeah, I agree. Um, but the, the gnomes triumph. They cut the mm-hmm. wires on the police car. And drive off in the lorry, and the police mm-hmm. car can't follow them. No, uh, and this, this is my. Just always remember this because again, it's in the TV series twice at the start and at the end. This is the, it won't start, and it's, it's just this hurried voice. It's one of those like actors who's done lots of stuff for that animation company. He's going, it won't, it won't start. <laughs> you're, like, <laughs> you're the most nervous sounding policeman I've ever heard. <laughs> Uh, but he's yeah. having a weird day. In his yeah. defense, he's having a very weird day. That's true. <laughs> yeah, so they. The, the lorry is found a day or two later stripped and yeah just abandoned down the road mm. um, but the gnomes have found somewhere to live mm. and it rhymes with lorry it, <laughs> it does it does, it does. <laughs> yeah an old quarry uh, which is like still intact still has a mm-hmm. little what's the word it's like an office kind of little wooden sort of building. site shed yeah yeah mm. uh, that's still hooked up to the electricity and they kind of start to establish a new life there mm. But Maslin's not really settled down. No, well, he sort of has this feeling that humans will come again one day. Mm. Although my favourite touch about all of this is that Bobo the rat wanders off for a little while and when Angelo finds him again, he's a lot scruffier and leader of the quarry rat and fathers to lots of ratlings. (laughs) (laughs) And they stop eating rats. The gnomes. Yeah. They, they sort of forge a peace, you know, between Bobo's people and their own. <laughs> yeah. An alliance. Uh, which reminds me of um, uh, the veterinary's uh, rat <laughs> servants. <laughs> guards, guards. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. Scrope and his buddies. Yeah. Oh, he's mm. got, must be fond of rats too, I think. I Pratchett. think so, yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, and how they keep bringing the wrong things. It's kind of like the books again. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's not the book I expected, but oh, it's kind of useful. Brown yeah. sauce instead of beer. Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, but Basklin's not happy because he feels like this is just another temporary solution and it's sort of the end of the story for now, but it can't be the end of the story. Yeah. And so he's already scouting the local airport 
when when we leave him mm. and this moment with Dorcas where he points to the planes <laughs> and says, do you think maybe we could steal one of How would we steal one of those if we had to? Well, it's it's got to be easier. It's only got three wheels. Yeah. <laughs> I just... Yeah. And there's oh, a part so of you good. that goes, but that's not the correct measure. That's... And then you pause and you go, yeah, they could do it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow uh, they would do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the end of the book. Mm, for now, the end of the story. Yeah. And I fun. love that, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll come back and do the other two books. And, but one of my favorite things about it is that mm. it's got two sequels that happen at the same time. Yes. Um, and yeah, I just I love that about the series. Yeah. Yeah. For those who are looking ahead, Diggers and Wings mm. happen to two different characters who are separated mm. at the same period of time. And interesting, I mean, we mentioned at the start, this is called the Bromeliad, but the Bromeliad doesn't even get referenced in the first book. It only no. appears in the other two books. I wonder if that was the trilogy's name when it was published. I don't, well, because they were published separately. Yeah. Did, not did, all you at know, the same Was time. there a name, did that name come in later? I, think... I feel like when I was in year six, it was just truckers, diggers and wings. Yeah, I don't recall there ever being like a collective noun for them. Or... Yeah. yeah, I think it came later, um, but it is... You know, the the other two books came out the following year. Mm. So he, he's clearly writing them all at the same time, uh, I guess. Yeah. So maybe he did know in advance. But the other two books came out at the same time. Which was, yeah, both at least in 1990, yeah. 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 So that's, that was a big year. Was it, was it, this is during like one of his most prolific periods. Mm. So I got four books in 89 and then like five or six books in 1990, which is just, just ridiculous. Just extraordinary. It's no small deal. No, it's a... Book deal. <laughs> what were the five in 1989? Uh, not, well, four in 1989, mm-hmm. which were Pyramids, Guards, Guards, Truckers, and The Unadulterated Cat mm-hmm. with Grey Jaliff. And then in 1990, Eric and Moving Pictures mm-hmm. from the Discworld, and then Good Omens and Diggers and Wings. So, I mean, like some, a lot of these are big books. Yeah. You know, it's not like they're all shorter or something. They're... No, I mean, er- Eric's a bit shorter. Yeah. And Diggers and Wings are a bit shorter because they're, you know, younger reader books. Mm. But they're big ideas crammed into smaller books, which arguably is harder to takes write. longer to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I must say when I'm running a middle grade, I sometimes find it harder to make the story fit into 55,000 or 60,000 words than mm. I would into 90. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, is it, how different mm. is it? Like you've written for several mm. different age groups. Yeah. It is it is and it isn't. So, yeah, I, I write young adult books, which have a pretty substantial adult audience as well. And I write middle grade. And I sort of just think of middle grade readers as readers with slightly less life experience. Yeah. So, you know, they're not stupider, but they're interested in slightly different things and they process in a slightly different way. So, mm. I mean, like the obvious stuff is generally you won't have sex scenes in the middle grade. But it's mostly because they're not interested. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of them have had the lesson on this stuff by now, but, you know, they're just not, they're interested in friendships because that's what they're navigating. They're interested in familial relationships and so on. Yeah. But generally I will maybe take the vocab down a tiny bit, but very little, to be honest. And I think there's room with, with middle grade to sometimes process emotions a little bit more on the page. Because kids are still learning to do that when they're younger readers and they're learning to put words to it as well. So there can be, you know, books when you're in sort of grade four and five can be a lot about realizing that you're not the first person to feel this feeling and feeling less alone because you realize other people have felt 
embarrassed by that or, you know, scared or alone or, or what have you. And that's sort of really obvious when you go to contempt books. Like, you know, when I was a kid, I was reading Judy Bloom and reading like Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing mm. and going, oh, I'm not the only one with a younger sibling. I'm not the only one, this, that, the other. Mm. Whereas I think sort of fantasy and science fiction give you a little more distance. And sometimes that can be a much better way for kids to process that stuff mm. because it puts a little distance between them and the thing. Feels a bit safer. But on the whole, I I mean, I still put in pretty rich description. I put in pretty complex stuff. You know, characters die and, and, and are killed in, in these books. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think my probably my description would be that the, the readers have a little less life experience. So maybe I, I help them process a tiny bit more. And uh, I once I once heard someone say that middle grade is a bit more about saving the world and young adult fiction is a bit more about saving yourself. Hmm. Uh, in that middle grade, you're sort of still trying to put all the bits of the world in their places. Hmm. Why are you asking who are you? And I think that's often, though not always, the case. There's a lot to think about. So like, yeah, it's, it's really interesting watching what they take out of it. Hmm. Like I think, you know, in... Um, one of the things that is quite almost quite casually said in, in my first middle grade book is they're threatened with exile if they betray the, the group. Mm. And I got a beautiful letter from a, uh, a mum who read with her daughter who said her daughter said to her, what's exile? And they ended up having a long conversation about what it means to be forcibly separated from your home, which is obviously, a, you know, a really relevant question today. Mm. And she said it was her, her kid's first moment of really getting her head around that. And I mean, the thing is, that's down to her mum's wonderful explanation, not down to a, a throwaway line that I put. I mean, well, I suppose it wasn't throwaway for the characters, but, you know, it wasn't down to my line. It was down to the way her mum discussed it with her. Mm. But those readers are coming across a lot of stuff for the first time in a way that older readers aren't. And so that's can be that can be where you give them a little extra assistance processing it. I wrote a, an article about Enid Blyton books like a long time ago and I had mm. a column called Is It Okay? And I was like, is it okay to read Enid Blyton books? Because mm. a lot of the attitudes are outdated. Mm. And my conclusion, as you can probably guess, was yes, it is. Um, mm. Just think of them in the context and embrace the questions as they come up. And one person commented, which I thought was great, um, that growing up their mum had read the Enid Blyton books and then afterwards they'd sit down and discuss mm-hmm. what was good, what was bad, what's mm-hmm. changed. And I just thought that was really great way, great parenting yeah, as absolutely. well to just handle that because there's so much like the girls can't come, they can't ride their bikes up the hill fast enough and also they don't think as quickly as we do. And I'm like, you're a woman writing this. but Yeah, and so if, if you've got a parent or a teacher or an adult who will say to you, oh, do you think that's true for you? Do you think you couldn't ride your bike as fast? so valuable then then yeah fantastic and and a lot of co-reading does happen um and you know i mean the thing is a lot of co-reading also doesn't happen and i think anyone who's grown up a reader and that's probably most people who listen to this podcast (laughs) if they're into pratchett they probably grew up reading knows that we also there's stuff that it would be great if someone had discussed with us when we were growing up because we sort of otherwise we internalize it and then when we we are adults we go wait a minute Mm -hmm. is that right but I think, I don't know, I think certainly Pratchett was responsible for a lot of my early feminism. Yeah. Mm. I guess, like, almost nothing but good female characters. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's true for me too, but I have to confess that I don't think I really understood any of it until much later in life. Yeah. Like, that was something that I had to make a concerted effort to understand, and that happened, you know, way later than you would hope for an adult human in the 21st century, you know. Well, but um, probably also at about the average time. Mm. Well, yeah, maybe. Um, but not when I was, I think I understood some very basic stuff when I was reading mm. the Pratchett books, but yeah, 
I still can't get past the pangs of anger I feel every time I think about Grimmer's life before they went to the store where she's just at home cooking dining socks, like that kind of and thing. And being complained at by, by ungrateful people, yeah. And it gives you the same feeling that the beginning of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the film, gives me where the grandparents are all in bed, in the bed, not mm-hmm. helping at all. And the mum's like working two jobs and the dad's working two jobs and Charlie's doing all this stuff. And then the moment he gets a ticket to the chocolate factory, suddenly Grandpa Joe can, can do all kinds of mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what were you doing before this? Mm-hmm. He's going to end up on a current affair. Yeah. Yeah. That's... And he's lay about sort of, what, what's the opposite of millennials? Like, uh, <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, baby boomers. Uh, no, they're too old for that. Uh, Centurions? Of the depression. Centurions, yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. But... Centurions, yeah. Okay. Something mm-hmm. else I'm interested in is that it was written in the late 80s. It is mm. about a very old-fashioned department store, mm. and there's a lot of stuff in it that has probably dated a bit. Mm. How do you think this would go with the target age group reading it now? I think, I think they'd do okay. I actually think younger kids are better with stuff that they don't understand maybe because they're quite used to not understanding things the world is full of that stuff but i mean when i was growing up reading ada blight and i didn't know what any of the food they ate was but i just went oh it's food yeah you know i don't need a placeholder food image in my head you know it's potted shrimp like what is that like that there's been yeah. so many of the the <laughs> they'd come back to mm-hmm. boarding school with shrimp paste or potted shrimp and i'd, I'd go yeah oh yeah that's food i guess because they're bringing it for that but you doesn't hold shrimp yeah, but well, I mean, I, I grew up reading Swallows and Amazons and it was full of, you know, things these British kids were eating the whole time that I had no idea what it was, but I thought, oh, it's food. It doesn't. And, and I would often conjure up, I think, my own entirely inaccurate image of what it was. Mm. Your babysitter's yeah. club, like I, t- I only recently found out what graham crackers are or s'mores, which I don't, because you have to, it's like that thing again, mm. you have to understand what graham crackers are to understand what s'mores are. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you've got to take it back. To- <laughs> biscuit yeah, path it's pretty analysis. critical. Yes, yes, biscuit path analysis, exactly. If you yeah. want a s'more, you're going to first need a graham cracker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. Um, but if you want a graham cracker, you need access to the American food store because there's no equivalent in Australia. Mm. And everything I know about them, I know from Buffy. So yeah, yeah, monkey doesn't get pants. Or the monkey is the only one with pants. Pants are involved, and there's a monkey. Okay. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah, but yeah. So I think I think kids would do fine with it because okay. I think I think they're quite accustomed to just putting in those mental bookmarks, and I don't think they bounce off if they don't understand. Whereas I actually think adults who are more accustomed to understanding everything are quicker to bounce off sometimes and, and less patient with waiting to find out what something will be. Cool. Well, do we have – we didn't get a lot of questions from listeners this time around. No. Did you? Um, I had a look and I couldn't just, actually find they, any. They don't know about the joy of truckers yet, but now they will. Yeah, I, I had a look and I couldn't find any. Yeah, I couldn't find any either. So I'm sorry if we've missed your question and we will tackle it in a different way if we've missed it. Um, profuse apologies, but I have a question, so I'm just going to use the fact that I'm here to ask my question mm, anymore. Go for it. Um, so they had the thing um, that we mentioned earlier about how he didn't understand wind until he realized that it was the, the trees moving around that caused it. So I wanted to ask you, what was a weird thing that you sort of, like a conclusion you drew that's logical but wrong as a kid or even recently? Because, mm, yeah, because I had question. one. While you're thinking, because that's, that's one to spring on you. I had one that was like, oh, maybe I can solve the common cold. I had this in year nine. And I was like, okay, so colds work through different phases. You get the sore throat. Mm. Then you get the runny nose and then you get the cough, 
right? Yeah. And now this is going to get a bit mucusy, so I'm sorry if you're squeamish. But I thought, okay, so the sore throat is scratchy and it goes away when the, the phlegminess happens. So it's almost as though the phlegminess is there to like quash the fire of the sore throat. So if you can find an alternative way to quash it, then you can just stop it at the sore throat phase and it won't progress. Oh, and the phlegm won't come. Yeah, because it won't need to because the problem's been solved. It's like That is know, completely gnomish thinking. Yeah, mm. so I was like, okay, so it's like sending the fire department, but you've already put it out the mm-hmm. thing. So I thought that was how you could cure the common cold. I then subsequently went to medical school and found out that was wrong. <laughs> um, so that was a good four years of my life to to find that out. <laughs> but, okay. um, so that's mine. Did you have No, any- you're right. Because they, they do have stuff like, and I don't think we talked about it on mic before. I think I, mm. think I was saying it off mic, but... This idea they have that masculine never understood wind until he realized the trees were causing it. And someone else says to him at some point, so the sun is up during the day and the moon is up at night. Yeah. Mm. Why would you not have the sun up at night when it's darker and it would be more useful? Yeah. And I thought you, that's, you've both fundamentally missed an important <laughs> fact here, but also I totally get yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. I don't know if I do have one. I, I'm sure I did have them, but I can't think of one. I mean, I had weird things about not understanding how words were pronounced. That's exactly mm. what I was just thinking. It took me until my 30s to find out how you said Segway. Oh. How are you saying it? Sieg, like rogue. Oh. Yeah. Well, that it's the makes same sense. spelling pattern. I don't think this is on me. Yeah. I had I... barred chips. Like I didn't realize they were bark chips. I'm like, barred chips. That makes sense. But like they're chips of bark. So that makes more sense. Yeah. Yes. I remember when I first saw the word stomach written out, I misread it and I just pronounced it Scotchmer for like ages Scotch. <laughs> when i was a kid i don't know why i did, just didn't understand it um but it sounds better like a oh scotch break so. yeah hmm. there was a fantastic piece on all things considered about stuff people believed until they were grown-ups and my absolute favorite was a woman who she began her story by saying like what you need to understand about me is i'm i'm not stupid and she sort of laid out her life so that you would understand she was you know an educated college graduate who sort of it was relatively together in all other parts of her life. And, and, you know, she didn't believe this thing her whole life because she was totally sheltered from all sources of information. Uh, but until she was at university, she thought that unicorns were real <laughs> and that they were African animals <laughs> because she's looking at all of the other things that have antlers and horns in Africa. And she's like, there's a rhino and there's lots of different types of, you know, antelopes and other things that leap. And there's many things that have horns on their head. And then there's zebras in Africa as well that look like horses and she thought a unicorn was some kind of African animal. Did she think they were extinct? No, she thought wow. they were in Africa now running around and you could go and see them. Wow. Yeah, and huh. she said she found out that that wasn't the case halfway through a group conversation oh, in no. a part of party in college <laughs> when it became apparent to her and everyone else in the conversation that she believed this thing and that it wasn't true. Wow. I guess yeah, that does happen a bit. Like university mm. teaches you things that you, beyond your degree. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> because um, yeah, most of the important things were actually not the things that were in my degree, to be honest. I have a friend who is also so very smart and she's mm. just gone on to do so many great things. But in university, we were having a conversation and through it, we realized that she thought that ATMs worked because someone was sitting in there putting the money uh-huh. <laughs> oh, no. she's like oh what about public holidays and we're like what like, <laughs> <laughs> what about toilet breaks they're, they're about the right size for sure this to be a booth yeah. yeah why wouldn't you just talk to them it'd be quicker than 
typing in the numbers. Maybe because that's the the joy of an ATM or like a checkout at the two supermarkets. It's like a self-checkout. You don't have to people if you don't want to. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. Oh, and the pin for verification also, Mm. you know, much easier than IDing yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, true. <laughs> I'm true. gonna think about that now when I use an ATM because it's the right I'm Imagining size. a little person counting out my money and feeding it through. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't have a better one. That's okay. I asked you a tough question mm. off the cuff, so if you yeah. think of one later, we can put it up on the Twitter. And mm. if any listeners have got one that they'd like to share with us on the social media, we'd love to hear from you. You can tweet it with the hashtag Pratchat Nine, which is the hashtag for the discussion of this episode and for truckers and. Really, that kind of brings us to the end of the episode. Amy, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. What fun. You've been a wonderful guest. Uh, now, you've got lots of books that are out. And we <laughs> I do. kind of, you know, we, we, we won't go list them all. Heavens no. <laughs> but we were trying to figure out which ones we think the listeners might be most interested in. Mm. For adult Pratchett readers, mm. you were thinking The Illuminae Files? I think so, yeah. So The Illuminae Files, we like to describe them as sort of Battlestar Galactica meets 10 Things I Hate About You. So sort of snarky teenage love story in space and they are completely alternate format so it's sort of like a found footage book everything in it is a blueprint or an instant messenger chat it's you know drawings and pictures and you sort of have to work out what's going along as you read so it's I guess in the same way as a Pratchett book expects you to do a bit of work this one certainly does too yeah so um, yeah, and I read the first one, and it was amazing. I can't wait to read the other two. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but you also we were talking about if if there are any parents of middle grade readers or even middle grade readers listening. Mm. Hello, welcome. Um, you have written for middle graders as well. Yeah, absolutely. If you know a young reader who liked truckers, then yeah, the book I've written for that age is called Ice Wolves. It's the first in a series, and it's got twins, shapeshifters, wolves, dragons, magic adventure it's everything yeah it's it's set in a uh, a fantastical world sort of a little bit inspired by iceland meaning i i got a tax deductible trip to iceland (laughs) to research (laughs) i mean that that was a happy result rather than an end goal but um although if i'd known how lovely iceland was it it might have been the end goal from the beginning (laughs) yeah amazing Uh, but yeah that's that's certainly where a lot of my thoughts about writing for that age group have come from okay Hmm. great well Definitely, you should check out Amy's books, uh, both ones that you've written by yourself and with others. And with co-authors, yeah. Illuminae is written with the very talented Jay Kristoff. Just like Pratchett, you you don't just write by yourself. No, no, absolutely. I love co-authoring. And I think actually Terry Pratchett was probably my first introduction to that idea. Mm. I think Good Omens is the first book I consciously remember reading, having encountered the other, both of the authors and seeing a blending of styles and understanding what that was. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really I'm looking forward to when we cover that book. Uh, but it is not the next one we are covering. In fact, Liz, what is the next book that we're talking yes. about on next episode of Pratchett? It is Moving Pictures. Yes, it's Ooh. time to go to the movies on the Discworld. Uh, look, we, we are in the midst of confirming a fantastic guest, but we have not confirmed them yet, so we won't say who they are. But it's going to be great. We look forward to having you back then. And we'd just like to thank everyone who's been spreading the word for the podcast, sending us in questions. Not that you did that this episode, but we trust that you will next time. <laughs> We'll get over it eventually. Yeah. um, Maybe. And and until we see you next time, may you keep trucking along. (laughs) uh, And may you stay out of the path of prices slashed. Yes. In the name of Arnold Brothers S1905. Gnome is where the heart is. (laughs) Everything must go. (laughs) Including us. (laughs) 
You've been listening to Pratchett, the monthly Terry Pratchett Book Club podcast with Pratchett's Elizabeth Flux, Ben McKenzie, that's me, and guest Amy Kaufman. Pratchett is produced and edited by me with music by David Ashton of Sample and Hold Studios. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pratchett Podcast or on the web at pratchettpodcast.com. Join the conversation for this episode using the hashtag Pratchat9. Pratchat is brought to you by Splendid Chaps Productions. We make entertainment for your ears, like the Doctor Who podcast Splendid Chaps and time travel comedy series Night Terrace. To find out more, visit splendidchaps.com.